have two eyes on. Do you understand the game a bit? Yeah, have a look. I'm not saying anything to you in particular because I know you're not too accurate with your reporting. That, that's what okay, you're paid so you're for. You're saying it. I should resign. So you're saying I should resign. I think that's you should, your opinion. Yeah. Is that right? That's my opinion. Okay. Are you going to resign then? No, of course I'm not going to resign. I simplify things next time. <laughs> Huge show. I'm sorry, but it is. It's an absolutely massive show. But and there's look, we're going to get through it all. We're going to we're going to celebrate. We're going to have a great time. But before we do, we just want to really give a, a quick shout out uh, to our friend Daniel. Uh, some of you may know him as Run the Means. Uh, obviously, this is a, a you know a, a great day for us, but for him, it's a very tough time. Some people may have seen what he said uh, on his Twitter. He's the guy who made our opening titles. He comments every week. Uh, he made our closing titles. He's made merch for us. Uh, he's really part of the TNC family, so uh, we 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 really are thinking about him. Uh, we just wanted to kind of give that shout out early uh, and make sure. I, I presume he's probably not watching, but uh, if there's anything we can do to support him, we will do that, and I'm sure the whole soccer Twitter community will do that because he's a massive part of that. So, you know, really terrible news for him. Um, he's in our thoughts. Um, but we, we are very thankful for every time he comments and watches and everything he's done for the show. Um, so, yeah, just thinking to you, mate. Just wanted to start the show. This show is a tribute to you and your family. Um, so, yeah, rough time. But, gentlemen, I'll, I'll introduce you. We'll start off. this. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. Every week I usually start off and say this is going to go under 60 minutes. Not today. Not today. All right, let's just accept no time limits. This is going long. This is going full 120. Joey Lynch, your article has already been tweeted out by a former Prime Minister, Kevin Rudd, probably because he's angry at News Corp, but that's massive. <laughs> well, as Josh Parrish figured out today, News Corp's uh, uh, review of the Socceroos game was actually full of errors anyway. So maybe it's best that he didn't retweet that one and he retweeted my one uh, instead. But no, um, yeah, fantastic day for Australian football, but also... I'd reiterate what you said, Stoll. Um, my deepest sympathies to Daniel. Um, run then memes. Heart is broken for you and your family and your children. And all you know, nothing I can say can make it better. But heartbroken for you, mate. Uh, Nick Debano, uh, you've got a very professional mic set up. Many people have confused you with Jamie McLaren. Um, you, you nearly touched the ball as many times as Jamie McLaren did in that second <laughs> half. Uh, but Debano, your thoughts. I just got to give a, a quick reprimand um, from Debano. Previously, I haven't been on a few episodes. I've been in Vietnam. I've had COVID. I still have COVID. I'm not no longer in Vietnam. But Debano uh, opened a uh, take of in the last episode with this reminds me of 2007 SummerSlam. There'll be none of that. All right. There'll be no 2007 SummerSlam references. All right. So we're, we're, we're keeping a tight ship on that. But Debano, please tell me how you're feeling without re- referencing ref- wrestling at all. Uh, I'm absolutely exhausted, Stoll. I'm not going to lie. I think like all of us, absolutely spent. Didn't go back to sleep after the game. Really excited. Uh, there was like that, I think we all had that initial high after Redman made the save like an hour of, oh my God, this is amazing. And then once the adrenaline wore off, it's like, oh my God, got the rest of the day still ahead of me to get through before I can actually hit the haze. So yeah, running on fumes at the moment, plenty of caffeine in the system, all good to go for this one style, but also my deepest sympathies go out to Daniel and the rest of his family, tragic news, uh, happening overnight. So sending all my love and, uh, wishing you and all your family all the best. Ante Jukic, you messaged the group chat at about the 60th minute mark and said, 
we're going to win on penalties, just vibes. And, mate, did we just vibe our way to a penalty shootout victory? Tell us. Tell us your thoughts on the game. Well, no, no your thoughts. We'll get into that, but just your initial feeling. <laughs> let's, not, let's not, you know, <laughs> dive too deeply, too early. Um, but, you know, before anything, I just want to send my um, thoughts and, you know, my love out to uh, Daniel because, you know, like, like Kerry said, there really, there really isn't anything, you know, we can do to make a situation like that better. But, um, you know, all we can do is show our support in that respect. And he's been massive for us and he's, he's always shown that he's always shown us that support. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the right thing to do to reciprocate that. And, you know, um, just want to wish him all the best in that respect. And, you know, despite such difficult circumstances and that is always just a message away. Um, however, yeah, we vibed our way through that game, man, and we vibed our way through those playoffs. Um, it seemed, I don't know, I think, yeah, it was like late in the second half. I I hadn't messaged you guys, and I just like, no logic, just vibes. We're, we're winning on pins, and <laughs> it's just, I don't That's know, it. It, was just a, it was just a, it was just gut feeling. It was in just a way, that look, you've written a lot of words for ESPN and, and you know, all other places as well over the years about Australian football, but no logic, just vibes. Probably we'll just sum up everything we're about to say over the next hour and 20 minutes. Well, <laughs> but look, I, I, I don't want to get too deeply into this, but um, I don't think, you know, this result, you know, alters a, a lot of a lot of what's happened over the course of, you know, the last four years and, you know, in Australian football at both the domestic and international level. And, you know, it's, uh, I've, I've spoken long and long and extensively about outcome dependency in the Australian footballing discourse. And this, you know, however positive it is that, you know, Australia have qualified. It's a great thing that Australia have qualified for the World Cup in Qatar. But um, yeah, it's, to use that word, there's that word again. Uh, it's, it, it is lamentable that to see such, um, you know, inconsistency from the Australian footballing public in terms of discourse and the media as well. Hey, we've got one of the best in Australian football media. He's so good that he's already got a, uh, a, a he's already got praise coming in. Great pod earlier with Gergen Teo. <laughs> Look, we can't be plugging other pods already on this pod, but Teo Pelizzeri. Welcome back to your spiritual home, TNC. You what one of the originals. We we haven't seen you for a while, but you know, like Andrew Redmayne, not many appearances, but coming up big, the hero when we need it. Your thoughts on this morning's game. Very happy that we got through, but one of the reasons that I've decided to fly in off the top rope is I think that today's the perfect day to talk it out, you know? And yes, thank you, Mark. And you know what? Yeah, there will be plugs for other podcasts the Gegen pod today uh had maximum nri if you wanted two people to talk about qualifying for a world cup on penalties you would get mark schwarzer and john aloisi and they're both waiting for you after you've listened to this one nothing wrong with that <laughs> that one is actually a pretty very good get um look the best thing about this show is as always the, your comments that come in every week um we really appreciate it get your questions in get your comments in get your jokes in we really appreciate it uh samuel says hope actually was the strategy you guys got it wrong 100 <laughs> percent. 
100%. They absolutely nailed it, all right? Because i got to be honest with you, I didn't have a lot of hope going into this game. In fact, when I saw the lineup, I even had less hope. I was like, oh, what is this going to be? Even as the game progressed towards penalties, I was like, oh, this is so frustrating because the game was there for the taking, because we did have an opportunity to win. I still had no faith. And then when Andrew Redmayne, was standing there. At first, he was standing there. I just thought, why is he standing so close to the pitch? Why is why is the third-choice goalkeeper getting involved? Is he doing like, a, you know, a Cristiano Ronaldo at the Euro 2016 final, starting pointing and trying to do tactics and all that kind of stuff? And then he comes on, and genuinely, it felt like this is a dream. This is a fever dream. Andrew Redmayne, who, by the way, most people were critical of him even coming into the squad. Birigidi should be in there. He hadn't had a good season for Sydney FC this was the one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Joey, uh, the prime minister, a former prime minister has already um, declared your take. One of the best that he can find. Give us your thoughts on that moment on the Andrew Redmayne, the hero. Well, I have to say after the A-League men grand final from a few weeks ago, just the good bloke index is absolutely doing bits at the moment. Um, now with Andrew Redmay coming in as well, it's, it's remarkable. Like I remember when me and Ante were doing our mega powers edition of TNC a few days ago. I remember when we were talking about leading and off and I told Ante that for some reason, I just had some sort of blind hope that it, it's just going to work out in the end. Like, I, I don't know how, but it will. And it worked out in the end. And I don't know how it did. Well, I can guess as to why it did, but it just sort of worked out. But yeah, in that moment, well, I, as my Twitter feed now uh, immortalized by the taxpayer on the ABC website, um, I was having a what the fuck moment. Um, just like the third choice goalkeeper coming on. And, you know, you think back to... The, the A-League men grand final between Sydney FC and Perth Glory. And you can see the justification behind it. But, you know, Matt Ryan had saved penalties against Uzbekistan as well in a penalty shootout. It was just, it was remarkable. And, like, you're sitting there like, there is no way this can work and this can come off. The entire game, it sort of, you'd had a feeling like like that sort of thing. where The Peruvians had hit the post minutes beforehand so in that moment you're thinking it can't happen and then he really didn't get close to many of the penalties before the one that he actually saved so like you're sitting there just like and what has probably been lost in as well in the celebration of Redmayne's penalty is that outside of Martin Boyle's effort Socceroos took some damn good Mm. penalties in that shootout like they really nailed their penalties and you're just sitting there thinking Surely our luck's going to run out at some point. You know, like the next bloke up in green and gold's going to just sky it over the bar or something because Redmayne hadn't got a glove to one at that point. But then well, he does. It started terribly with Martin <laughs> Boyle missing the first penalty. And there was I a mean, big yeah. feeling of like, oh my God, like, he, like here we go. This is, you know, even then. So I don't know. And also that was, um, Redmayne was doing the wiggle stance and wasn't, like you say, wasn't even getting close to it. So we actually, it was like, I was getting messages from all around the world. Basically people asking me to explain what, who is this guy? What is he doing? And you're like, no, 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 this is his thing. It's worked previously. It worked in this one game. The guy tried to penenker it and he hit it straight at him. Dubana, your thoughts uh, on the Redmayne situation? 
I think honestly, the funniest part about watching it was watching it with my brother who hasn't, who's been overseas, hasn't watched our league since probably like 2016. So he remembers Andrew Redmayne for being Andrew Redmayne at the Western Sydney Wanderers. Andrew Redmayne at Melbourne Heart had no idea that he was even in the Socceroos squad. And then when he saw him getting up, he's like, is that, is that fucking Andrew Redmayne? Like, just like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's Andrew Redmayne. It's like, what the fuck is he, is, what's he doing on the bench? First of all, he was coming on. And my brother's a, an ex-goalkeeper as well. And like, you know, he was just having a fit watching him on the line. Like how there was one in particular where he was just completely flat-footed after, you know, one of his dances and it went straight. He could have actually, if potential was on his toes, he might've even got a hand to it. Um, but my God, did that, that, I stole, you You put out a really good tweet about it that sort of summed it up. Like living and one dying by, well, you had a few that actually went off this morning, Nick. So congratulations <laughs> to you. But um, in terms of that that moment, it was like, that was going to basically, you know, be it for Arnie's legacy. Like if that effed up and that didn't work out, if that really just went completely pear-shaped, like we, we probably all thought after Boyle missed and Redmayne wasn't getting a hand to any of them. And we thought, oh, geez, this familiar feeling of dread is starting to seep in. That could have that well that would have probably been the stake in Arnie's coaching career for the Socceroos. Uh a stake in the heart. So honestly though, like when he saved it, I I I was I was shocked. Like I couldn't believe like what I'd just seen because I mm. thought there's no way he's actually like honestly, honest to God, I thought he's not gonna save a penalty. Like <laughs> Peru's gonna have to miss. Like that like I I don't know if that was just, you know, there was that feeling, but it was actually my brother was like, they're gonna get like a bit pissed off by this, aren't they? Like, they did when you think players, about it. Yeah. One of these Peru like players are gonna get are gonna get psyched out and one of them's just gonna go just lose complete concentration. And hey, it worked out. So you know what? I can't complain the end we got to the World Cup, but there's a lot of things that we're gonna talk about about this game. There's things that we can't gloss over in the wash up. But this moment will live in the history of Australian sport. Like this is a, a massive moment. Like as much as it is a novelty and it's like, oh my God, it was Wiggles dancing on the on the goal line. Like this is up there in like some of the most remarkable and, you know, up like top five, maybe all-time Australian sporting moments. Top Easily top 10. But it's up there with Aloisi's penalty uh, against Uruguay. It's up there. I think someone even put, you know, Kathy, Fre- Kathy Fre- I can't even speak. Kathy Freeman in 2000 at the Sydney Olympics. Like it's, it's up there. It's up there with Steve Bradbury. Like it's a great underdog <laughs> story as well. So you know what? Great moment for him, but uh, alas, we're there. It's, it's, we're there Australia later. qualifying is Stephen Bradbury. It's not. Can I can I take this back to Redmayne though? Because I remember there was oh, Redmayne. A, yeah. This bloke. Uh, yes. <laughs> hey, do you want me to bring him in? Do you want me to bring in the Oracle? <laughs> No, no, make right, make your yeah. point, make your point, Tao, and we'll we'll get back to uh, because someone has made reference to Lockie's um, post. But go, Tao. His personal evolution here is pretty remarkable. I can't remember whether it was 2016 or 2017, but it was one of those FFA Cup nights, and I was at Heidelberg, and we all went into the rooms, and one of the other games had gone to extra time, and I cannot for the life of me remember whether it was Melbourne City or. Western Sydney Wanderers, but I assume it was the Wanderers, and they went to penalties, and Redmayne didn't get close to any of them. And John Aloisi today mentioned that he faced 10 and didn't save a single one of them in his time at Melbourne Heart, and he was just as bad at attempting to save penalties at Western Sydney Wanderers. The fact that his personal evolution as a goalkeeper to not just a potentially national backup, but 
pure specialized um, penalty shootout tool for this exact situation is pretty remarkable. And especially given that he was copping pelters for not being able to handle the Adama Traore shot in the A-League All-Stars <laughs> game as recently as three weeks ago. I mean, so it in, in a way, I think it is great for him, but also great for his coaches and the people who have invested time in him to find this moment and this purpose for him because he has come from a long way back and all of the coaches that worked with him when he was younger know it because the stats back it up too. Jesse Jenkinson says, biggest vibe from the match was Redmayne throwing goalkeeper bottle into the stands, which had instruction for the penalties. I, w- I wonder at the instructions, how detailed were they? Were they like, all right, go a little to the left, then go a little to the right, then put your arm up to the left. Put your... Was it the hokey pokey? Just <laughs> No, no, that was the, it stole, it was the Peruvian bottle. So the Peruvian oh. keeper had instructions for the Australian penalty takers and Red Mains just pifted into the stands. Well, let's be honest. The instructions weren't great because the Peruvian goalkeeper didn't get close to too many of them. Um, and Totus Pagona says, not great timing for me. It is a bit of a weird time coming in at 3.52. Uh, we'll catch up with the crowding just here, here to say it's great to see Teo back on the show for Socceroos. Sorry, um, who? who? Who's who? it great to see back who? on the show? I've been in I've been in Vietnam and I've my accent has slightly changed. I've picked up uh Xin Chao. Xin Chao. Come on. Um we'll talk about Vietnam's under 23 side in a minute. Uh Jack Pantelios says more bags under Socceroos fans' eyes than the nightclub Bailey Smith was at. <laughs> Shout out to him. Um but yeah, keep your comments coming in. Uh so yeah, untap. <laughs> Give us your thought. You've, you've said it's the Stephen Bradbury. No, yeah, look, it's not the Stephen. No, no, no. It is in a way, like it totally is. We should celebrate Stephen Bradbury and we should celebrate <laughs> Andrew Redmayne. But this this guy was a like as you know. I think it's a great, really interesting story that a few people have picked up on. This guy was going to quit to become a teacher six years ago. This guy could have been in a classroom this morning with you know his own bags under his eyes, and here he is. The you know, and actually, I remember saying to someone the other day. I only thought Redmayne was honestly going to this squad because he was a good bloke. That's I honestly thought that's why the third keeper was chosen. And I remember saying to someone, if you want a good bloke, why don't you go to Ryan Scott as your third choice keeper? <laughs> that's how little this thing matters, right? But and that I, is you know, the third choice goalkeeper's job. Yeah. To, like, be that guy. to be fair, I, I still think there's a case to take Ryan Scott to the World Cup. We'll just take four keepers. <laughs> well, it, I think there's 26 26-man squad, actually. I think they've extended it out. So just untamed. name him like assistant goalkeeper coach or something and just <laughs> real job vibes. Untamed, there's a lot of talk about like the red man substitution and, oh, you know, like, wow, incredible. I saw someone say it was the, the greatest coaching decision in the history of Australian sport or something, something crazy like that. Um, but was it, you know, we talk about, coaches taking risks and you know Arnie barely took a risk this whole qualification <laughs> campaign but it did feel like this was the first time he was like you know what I'm going for it and he risked it what how did how did you analyze that risk the, because it's not remember it's not just Redman who comes on but Goodwin who comes on as well for Bekic and Goodwin took a rather assured penalty if there is one thing that Craig Goodwin can do. It is hit a ball. Goals um, and assists. Goals and assists. Shout out to Josh. Massive win, yeah, for the Josh um, Parrish brand. But uh, I guess I guess the thing about it is it's you know, 
in the immediate wash, it, it's not really looked at within context because the reality is that Australia were ultimately playing for penalties. And, you know, it, it could, I guess, even in a subpar Peruvian performance, they still did enough to win the game, arguably. You know, there were, you know, going back to even the Syria game, there was that parallel, you know, they hit the post and what are what are the people who were, you know, who were so elated who were, you know, saying suck on this haters and, you know, were not, were ultimately forgetting the context of the result. What would they have been saying then? But like, I know these are hypotheticals. I understand that, but this is what I come back to on Sunday that, you know, most of the decision-making that is made when it matters in Australian football is in relation to damage limitation. And, you know, you can't, it's hard to remove the context of, you know, decisions before a penalty shootout than, you know, trying to withstand 120 minutes just to play for a break, play for a penalty shootout as opposed to actually winning the game. So, you know, I guess one of the ultimate interpretations of this game is that Australia did enough to maybe did enough to not lose, but they didn't do enough to win. Um, and that's, you know, that's the elephant in the room of something of, of, a, of a performance and a result like this going forward, looking ahead to a World Cup and not even looking to looking ahead to a World Cup. It's looking ahead to the next four to eight years and where Australian football goes from here. But, but Ante, Peru did less. You, you oh, say did. we didn't do enough to win. I think Peru did less. They they created enough quality chances in the penalty area. They, they created more in the penalty area than like both in the first, second, and specifically after Aquino comes on in the 80th minute. It's a different game from them because the, the second half does have that kind of lull until about 10 minutes to go in the 90 where Aquino comes on. There's that chance for Cueva in um you know it, it all it, all it took was a pass that's you know adequately weighted where Cueva doesn't really have to reach for it and then hit it on his second touch like if he gets clean purchase on that that it's saying a lot about you know like it it, it would take a pretty massive effort from Matt Ryan from there to save that and you know then there's the also, there's also the chance to hit the post like then there's it's a different game I'll look at it this way. With the ball, how differently did Australia play in comparison to the Japan and Saudi Arabia games? Look, I thought we did not play well across the 120 minutes. I know there was a lot of people that said, oh, you know, we played really well at 120 minutes. We really took it to... Look, we I thought Peru we was were stinking. I, th- I thought, we I thought Peru was stinking. I thought we were stinking. And that's why I was nil all... And you know what? Uh, Toros comes in, one of our uh, friends of the show. Apart from the result, which of course is all important, has to be one of the worst <laughs> games I've ever watched. This was not one for the neutral. Um, like, uh, honestly, though, honestly, though, uh, that was the thing that I kind of have to disagree with, you know, in relation to, you know, the immediate wash. It was like they were saying that Peru played, you know, extraordinarily bad. They were horrendous. Like, they did enough. Like they, they proved. They were pretty bad. They were pretty. Bad. Like no, no, no. There's like, a difference between doing enough and playing well. But then you know that's the same thing as being, that's a there's a difference between doing enough and playing badly. 
which is which has been the general consensus among Australian football, like about Peru's performance. They, you know, all it it's not with relation to a systemic issue for Peru. It came down to a, it came down to situational senses. Whereas, let's say, there, you know, it's a it's a poorly it's a it's a it's a poorly weighted pass here, or it's a you know it's a heavy touch there. But, but, that, that's that's a situational thing. That's but, not something that is systemic that is you know that has gotten australia to this point but i want to challenge you on the peruvian mindset because there was one incident i can't remember what minute but it was midway to later in the second half where peru had a a two-on-one evolve on atkinson's flank before he was subbed off he's obviously been on the card for the entire second half and the midfielder feeding it out to the left feeds it out to a one-on-one against atkinson only a couple of meters from the penalty area and and that that winger turns inside and feeds the ball back into the midfield third and every time they cut to Gareca on the sidelines, he was getting increasingly angry as the game went on. So my question is, was that a lack of communication from Gareca to his players? Was it the players incapable of um, uh, following his instructions? Or is it credit to Australia for frustrating them and closing potential passing avenues that they would have had into the penalty area? I don't think it's any of those. Um, it's arguably the size of Yotun's absence because he plays on that left side of midfield. And there is, you know, Australia had their absences as well. And, but you think about, let's say, the net loss of a target in comparison to a Yotun. I think I'd arguably suggest that Yotun's absence is rather sizable in that midfield for Peru because he gives them that sense of oxygen, especially for, you know, to use Graham Arnold's words, they're both disciplined and all over the shop, but Yotun allows that to to happen uh you know amongst the chaos and so personally i think it was a big out but at the same time it's not like peru deserved to lose or they you know they arguably deserved to get more than you know a penalty shootout let's say no, I, I, I'm going to disagree. I think they got what they deserved. And can I also say, and this might be my most galaxy brain of takes, the ball that hit the post wasn't going in. We had defenders there to cover the spill and clear it away, albeit clumsily off the face of Lapadula. And I think if it hadn't hit Ryan the post, Matt Ryan, Matt, I think Matt yeah. Ryan would have got to it. I think Matt I Ryan would have got to it. I don't think he gets no, to it. No, I, I have to dictri- disagree with you on that I don't one. Think you, you're giving up a, a header like that in the penalty area that late in the game. That's not a good thing. And, yeah, and this is, and I'm not, you know, and speaking of extra time, like that, that Cueva chance is probably more reflective of how the game was going at that point. I think, I think after that chance that hits a post, um, or specifically after the Cueva chance, like I think the game kind of deflates and there's a resignation that both are going to penalties. Well, um, Prue did have one chance pretty soon after that hit off the post. If a long yeah, that range was a shot that just flashed. Out. Oh, that was oh, sorry. There was a sorry the Cueva chance where they cut cut back into the yeah. cut back to Cueva Over and there's the a heavy touch and then it hits a, it hits a side netting actually and then Cueva has a shot from I think Cueva has a shot from distance as well. That's the one I'm thinking of. That um, was the last, but. Yeah, I, I mean, I look at it this way. What did Australia create in comparison to that? There was that Jackson Irvine chance, uh, in the penalty area at least. There was a Jackson Irvine chance late in the first half from a header that comes from the goal kick where Trustich is in acres of space. Um, Trustich's shot? 
That was our yeah. Best Hustic just shot like on the edge of the box. Like I'm saying in the in the penalty. Yeah, that's that's the really the cutback. <clears throat> Debano, yeah. go. Yeah, can I just say one thing? I think my favorite unironic take about this game has been everyone saying that the tactics were spot on and Arnie no. got it done a hundred. Like that was the that was an Arnie masterclass from for 120 minutes for the way Australia set up and the way they played. Ma, if we had lost that penalty shootout, everyone would be saying exactly the opposite of that. Yeah, Everyone's just exactly. saying that because they're so caught up in outcomes, so caught up in results, so caught up in oh, we won. So it must have been a great performance. Like you can win games, but play absolutely abhorrent guys. I think that, you know, we could learn that with any sport. Like you don't have to play well to win, but then we can't gloss over the fact Australia were not good. And to be honest, like when you do look at the chances bar that the memorable chances only for me was when Beich made that run and had that shot on his right. And there was that Krustich chance as well. Bar that Australia created nothing. There was still the same hole in midfield that we have seen throughout this entire qualification phase. There was nothing happening through the middle. It was U-shaped possession. It was trying to cross it, inshallah. Playing Mitchell Duke from the start, let's be real, okay? He's a battering ram up top, but that came as a trade-off to the way Hrustic plays. And Hrustic had to play, you know, further up the field and was basically trying to feed off scraps. And he was almost anonymous. Yeah, it it was basically anonymous. And... That, for me, was so frustrating to watch because it was like, what, what are we doing here, fellas? And, you know, even with the substitutions as well, like we can joke about the fact that there were no changes in midfield, but that, for me, was glaring, guys. Like, they did not change any of those midfield three. Didn't look to bring on Marco Tilio to give him just a little bit of unpredictability in the final third. Maybe throw Denny Jomro on. Try something different, you know? Like, I just think... You know, going with that that same three, and Jackson Irvine was completely cooked by the time the game ended. Like, he was cramping up before the penalty shootout. He needed to be subbed off. I know that one of those subs obviously went to Andrew Redmayne. One of them went to Craig Goodman, which, you know, Craig Goodman scored a good penalty. Andrew, Andrew Redmayne was the hero. But, like, we can't gloss over the fact Arnie's in-game adjustments in terms of the midfield and the way we're playing out from the back, the way we're looking to build up, was not good. And there, there has to be questions asked about it, especially going into the World Cup. We can't be dealing up that dross going into the World Cup. Otherwise, against much better teams, which I know that France and Denmark aren't playing that great at the moment, and Tunisia aren't a world beater, but we can't deal that with that dross. Otherwise, they're going to bloody kill us. Um, look, I, I think it's ultimately why I go over the how is because it explains the why. And this is... You know, the why more than anything is what has got us to this point and we've been able to salvage it and that's fantastic I you know I'm I, I'm just really conflicted like because I am really pretty happy that we're going to Qatar and that we Same. that we don't witness you know the possibility of something more existential if we miss out in the World Cup and I'm you know relieved and content for that but uh, the why has reflected you know a, a lot of a lot of things that are that are wrong with Australian football especially when when push you know the proverbial push comes to shove how do we approach games and from minute one like I remember there was an instance where um like Krustic was in acres right plays across to Bekic Bekic still has Rustich in acres and tries to play a ball over the top because that's, you know, that's just the thing to do in Australian football. Like, uh, 
I guess the ultimate question I have is like, how how can bravery how can bravery be defined in Australian football? Look, just quickly, I just want to say there's lots of comments coming in. Uh, Brian V, thank you, Nick. Uh, Paul Turner, thank you, Nick. Lachlan Sands, thank you for saying this, Nick. <laughs> no, you're welcome. Uh, you know, I'm doing a great job hosting as always. Alan <laughs> uh, Riley, yeah. <laughs> Alan says very well said from Volpato. We're going to get lots of questions coming. We're going to get uh, lots of comments coming, but we have a special guest joining us, uh, and he's wearing quite the hat. So if you are listening to this on the podcast, make sure you come in at about uh, 32 minutes into the stream because you've got to see this hat. Please welcome from a beach in far north Queensland, I believe, Josh Parrish. Josh, how are Sorry, you? Sorry, I've I got to bring Lockie in for this as well. <laughs> Josh, can you hear us? Ah, I can hear you now. All right, fantastic. Josh, tell us, what is what is the thoughts? Where are you? Give us the live uh, from the holiday destination. No, no, I just got to say first, Josh would like to talk about the game, but he's not going to spend any time on it because in the meantime, while we're talking Socceroos, every three months, a person is torn to pieces by a crocodile <laughs> in North Queensland. <laughs> How's I mean, real, 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 let, a thousand, let a thousand blossoms bloom as far as I'm concerned. But like Joey says, that's that's my main priority right now. I'm up here in Port Douglas trying to solve the issue uh, while uh, you guys obviously get down to business on the Socceroos. But yes, I was up at 4am watching it. Yes, it did not go down well in the uh, the apartment I'm sharing with my partner. Uh, and she, ju- she actually had to leave the apartment before penalties because she couldn't handle the tension, which, uh, so she, she didn't even get the catharsis of the win. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, I was jumping around, uh, the apartment, uh, waking up probably the entire complex. Uh, yeah, very, very happy. We won, uh, frankly, hilarious. As you've said, Stephen Bradbury esque circumstances, but I will take it any day of the week. Um, also joining us uh, in the FNR studio, Nick Tabano, is the man who was at 12 years ago, Cave Andrew Redman. Young boy. He is a pre Lockie Flanagan with a hell of a fringe. It's a very um, high school musical haircut going on there. Uh, yeah, no, that's a, fair, that's a fair critique. Um, Tell Justin, us. baby era Justin Bieber is also another another um, <laughs> way of describing it that's been leveled in the past. So, look, I did what I had to do. Um, and if the haircut has to come out as a result, well, you know, so be it. For anyone I'm, I'm just glad you don't have podcast. facial paralysis at the moment, Lockie. So, uh, thank you very much, Barnaby Josh. I appreciate it. <laughs> For anyone listening to the podcast, uh, you're going to have to go and see this picture. But just, Lockie, uh, talk us through uh, that moment. Uh, was it 12 years ago uh, you spoke to Andrew Redmayne? Yeah. Um, God, I-, I used to be a very nervous kid having to um, get my photos taken with Melbourne Heart players back in the day when that uh, that used to be a thing for me. Uh, my dad would push them, sort of push me sort of in their direction and usually ask on my behalf. But on this particular day, uh, just a premonition just, just came over me. It must have been something in, in the tea leaves or something. And I saw, you know, I finished the uh, the cup and the leaves had sort of sat at the bottom and I just saw this dancing outline of a man at the foot of the teacup. And that was the sign. That was the sign. I had to tell Andrew Redmayne, you've got to learn the wiggle and uh, you're going to save a penalty. Yeah. 
Uh, he was very confused. Um, my dad still had to push me in his direction, but hey, it worked. And um, I reckon I can expand this business. Uh, obviously, the soccer is we've got the coach whisperer, but for just any <laughs> general people uh, who are looking for similar Andrew Redmayne level <laughs> advice, uh, I'm pleased to announce my coach whisperer inspired uh, personal development business, uh, Bloke Whisperer. So <laughs> hit me up. Um, happy to help you save your penalty goals in life as well. Uh, okay, I just want to get your thoughts as kind of the resident, um, you know, Scottish Australian football expert. Uh, when Martin Boyle missed the penalty, did you feel like there was going to be an avalanche of hate towards Scottish Australians as a result of that missed penalty? Your emotions in that moment? I don't know. I, th- I think uh, I think Scottish and Australian football share too many bedfellows at the moment to be really uh, angry with one another. There's too many that have crossed the divide now. Um, look, I am begrudgingly happy for Mo- Martin Boyle. It's always good to see a Scottish-Australian crossover. I- am I pleased with the fact that his decision to change allegiances uh, was vindicated while Lyndon Dykes will sit at his house during the World Cup? Uh no, to be frank, but I'd prefer to have both. But, you know, we can't always have nice things. Josh, uh, we don't want to keep you too long because uh, your partner, very nice partner, will get very angry at us if we keep you for two hours. So just basically uh, condense all your takes that you would give across two hours into two minutes. Um, I mean, it's just extraordinary. I go away for one week and then I check my work chat and I see the message from the Stats Perform crew Jeff the Purple Wiggle confirmed for 3 p.m. What is happening? Uh, Also, I don't think it was a wiggle stance. I think it was Mr. Burns giving the instructions to Homer at the bat. I think that was uh, what the real uh, method behind the madness was. Uh, Look, I was yelling at the TV for most of the game. Um, Anyone who watched that, that first 120 minutes and wasn't frustrated by the way Australia was playing, I don't understand you, um, but we're there somehow by hook or by crook in incredibly meme-worthy circumstances, and I'm very happy that we made it, uh, both for professional reasons but also uh, because I'm just, as I found out this morning, super invested in this team. I had a knot in my stomach for the entire game. I don't know. I don't think the entire call felt the same way as me, but I uh, yeah, I was feeling incredibly nauseous most of the time whether it was the football we were playing or the, uh, the tension on the line. Uh, but yeah, look, I, I didn't, I also agree with Teo. I don't think Peru were as good as I was expecting them to be. Uh, I think they were certainly the better team um, and they were harsh, hardly harsh done by, but the, the way the soccer is set up in the second half, they were so passive. I think Peru should have done more. Uh, I think, you know, Quaver didn't affect the game as much as he could have. He didn't take it on as much as he could have. He didn't run at Nate, uh, Nate Atkinson enough given that Atkinson was on a yellow card after 12 minutes. So, yeah, I, I was a little uh, underwhelmed by what I saw from Peru, even though I think they are better than us. We did speak about that on Sunday, though, how Yotun specifically incorporates Cueva and, you know, the positions in which he's able to receive the ball, not just receive the ball, but, you know, the positions he can go downhill at players. And that was probably you know, a, a pretty significant dynamic in this morning's game. Um, however much, you know, Gonzalez played well, but um, I think uh, because it's not just, it's not just, you know, 
Yotun's absence, but it's also Tapia coming in, and Tapia for Aquino is a, is a is a very different um, you know co- proposition uh, when it comes to prison midfield, especially given the way they play. Um, and it it worked to Australia's favour in that respect. Um, but yeah, I, I'll, I'll, <laughs> it's your point. I don't want to piggyback. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I also felt Australia was suffering <laughs> from a bit of um, a bit of identity crisis and cognitive dissonance, um, especially when Duke was up front, because we were actually quite reticent to launch the ball long and Matt Ryan was trying to play out from the back in the initial phases and so forth. When we actually, early on in the game, just went, you know, no uh, pretensions whatsoever, launched the ball up to the big man, it actually caused Peru problems. But because we've got delusions of grandeur, apparently we can't do that. But then the team we select isn't, designed to play out from the back and actually try and play football at all. So I feel like we're, we're caught between two extremes here. And if Australia was just to embrace one of them, I think we would be a more effective side. Uh, you know, the lottery of penalties, I think going first is huge. We know 60% of the time the team that kicks first um, will win. And even missing the first penalty, it still gave Australia advantage when it got to sudden death. Um, and also the fact that it was at the Australian fans' ends um, it was sort of a neutral end on the other side, I suppose, but there were one, my, far more Peruvian fans than Australian. I think that affected the shootout as well. And just the <laughs> level of aura and expectation around Peru coming into the game from their media. And they were talking up saying Australia is this simple team and they've only got one good player, etc. and so on. I think that actually put quite a burden on the Peru players. I felt they were incredibly, incredibly nervous and the burden of expectation weighed heavily on them. Josh, can I just say, I just keep feeling like you're on the campaign trail at the moment. This is like, this is like, it's like you're in far north Queensland now, and you've you, you jumped on a Zoom call to like tell us about how your campaign's going, and now you're in Port Douglas, and you've just spoken to the masses, and you spoke about how exciting it was to watch the Socceroos at the community hall. Josh Parrish <laughs> delivering the for the NP with big thumbs up. <laughs> the people are really struggling. I've got my RM Williams on. I'm, I'm talking to the people. I'm kissing babies. I'm, I'm tweeting out Joey's articles. It's, uh, yeah, vote one Josh for the Queensland Senate. <laughs> the member for Port Douglas. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, Josh, uh, does anyone have any questions for Josh uh, before we go and he hits the campaign Where's next on the again? campaign trail, Josh? Are you heading up towards, like, is it to Darwin next or is there a stop along the way? I'm actually uh, checking out Cape Tribulation and Mossman Gorge tomorrow, so I'll see if there's some uh, some rural voters I can convince to to come to the dark side. Will I'm will sure my will my relatives be demoted to Gusta Biter status? <laughs> no, I just think Australia's problems would be solved if we gave you know six shooters to all thirteen year olds. I think that's the, <laughs> <laughs> the right to protect themselves. Just quickly, before you go, look, uh, availability is the best ability, as uh, we like to say. And look, we're all available today. This is a full squad. But, you know, Josh, you're better leave. But there was a few people saying, you know, are we going to apologize to Arnie? You know, there's, you know, the humble pie. With everyone here, would anyone like to apologize to Arnie? For what? Yeah, for it's what? Not- Okay, there we go. There's, there's stunned <laughs> silence. Uh, I mean, for what? what? Well, we we were we were critical seriously for what of of him. Um, in the... hey, if he if he records a video message, a la the demand to Alan, uh, Adam Peacock those years ago, then I'll consider it. 
<laughs> if he asks, it, if he personally asks TNC or demands an apology from TNC, I'll have a, I'll have a good hard think about it. Yeah, all right. On a kind of more serious note, how much credit do we give him? Because there was a lot of people saying today. I, I mean, look, I thought the weirdest comments were people saying, "Look, uh, people criticise him, people have a go at him, oh. but you can't say he doesn't love the Socceroos." Whoever said he didn't love the Socceroos? <laughs> <laughs> whoever, whoever was like, you know what, this Arnie bloke. It's the I, dumbest you, TL, uh, I would. It's the worst TL. I, I want to put this out there. I would argue that the most counterproductive reaction we can have to today's result is that it was a blueprint instead of a cautionary tale. Simple as that. If you think that this is a blueprint for how to qualify for a World Cup, you've missed the point. This entire experience is a series of cautionary tales. Can I add to that as my final contribution before I uh, before I hit the surf? Um, so 2010 qualified easily. 2014 qualified in the last game with a late goal from Josh Kennedy. 2018 uh, World Cup qualified through the playoffs 3-0 on aggregate. 2022 qualified through the playoffs on penalties. Uh, I think the expansion of the World Cup will be our saving grace for a time, but there's a trend I'm noticing here, a downward trend, and we're cutting it finer and finer and finer every four years, and I'm not sure how much closer we can get to missing the World Cup without actually missing it. This is like uh, this is like house prices going up during lockdown. <laughs> oh, no, we're not getting into big short areas. Bingo, all, the, bingo. All, the, all the underlying bingo, factors bingo, bingo, bingo. speak to all the underlying factors speak to you know a, a, a pretty significant malaise, but you know just keeps ripping. Um, we're, we're, they're pretty resilient, the Socceroos. So they're just as resilient <laughs> as, as a virus and and the Australian housing market. So. <laughs> I'm going to head off out there, fellas. Thanks for your company. <laughs> Enjoy. Peace Enjoy, off. Josh. Yeah, um, I, I was thinking about this last night in the lead up to the game, you know, about the phrase, you know, the talk about it doesn't matter how you win as long as you win games like this. And thought about it for, I actually spent a few hours going back and forth on it. And in the end, you know, Call me my father's son. Call, say whatever you will. I couldn't, I couldn't hand on heart say that there wasn't an aspect of that for this game. But what I settled on was that the problem was that that mindset didn't just apply to this game against Peru throughout this window. That mindset was being applied to the early games against the like during the during that eleven game winning streak, the games against uh, Vietnam and Oman how it didn't matter how we were beating those sides as long as we were beating them because that's what qualification is all about. And it was a le- it was adopting that mindset in those games, which I think, you know, is allowed what everything that came afterwards happened. It, it, it set the table for, you know, the results, you know, one win in the last seven group games because there was a level of acceptance of these performances against the likes of, um, Vietnam and Oman and China during the winning streak, you know, with the phrase, it doesn't matter as long as you're winning. And we've seen, like, to piggyback off Taylor's point surrounding cautionary tales, we ne- inevitably see the results of that when in the games where it, it, we've been shown that it's really not just a, winning isn't the only thing in those sort of games. Winning isn't the only thing that matters in those games and if it 
and if you are accepting just winning as the only thing that matters against Asian minnows, it shouldn't come as a surprise when you when you know said performances can't pass the mustard <laughs> against Japan and the Saudis and um, the likes of that. So yeah, that's where I think I came to last night with these thoughts, you know, surrounding it doesn't matter how you win as long as you win in this game. I, I don't fully agree with the sentiment, but I couldn't hand on heart say that I didn't have sympathies towards that mindset coming into this game, especially as the game progressed and it was nil-nil heading to penalties. Josh talked about knots in the stomach. I had knots in the stomach. I'm not saying I... This is, honestly, this is this is not about a, a question of how you win. This is not about... Because that 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 essentially you know pertains to aesthetic. This is not about aesthetic. This is about practicality. And Australian teams are ultimately impractical by how they play. This is not a question of oh you want to play beautiful or do you want to win. Like no, I want to play practically. And well, also, I think we that's splitting done. hairs. That's 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 not splitting hairs. That's reality. No, 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 no. I mean, with my my intention was around. I know, but it's like, just yeah. it's just a distinction that I want to make. I'm not like okay. necessarily criticizing yeah. you for that for such a yeah. thing, but like I think, like I said, there is a distinction that has to be made in that respect because it's not. This isn't, you know, this isn't a question of aesthetic. This is a question of, you know, the ultimate ceiling of Australian football, and how can we progress from here. Just a, a quick one, Stoll. You know how you spoke about uh, you can't discount Arnie's love for the team. Is that right up there with like Aussie DNA and like love the way you go about it in the top three, like sporting, just like cop-out quotes? Like, you know, oh, you can't discount that he loves the team. Well, if he doesn't love the team, then why the hell would they coach the team? It's such a like simpleton line. Like, of course, if you're coaching the team and you have been for four years and it's your second time in charge, you're going to love the team and you're going to, he's going to love his position. Like, of course there's stressful parts of it, but of course he loves his job. And, um, you know, I just think that's a real, like, I don't know. It's like, it's just a, a pretty applied, just a bit of a dumb line. Like yeah, it's just, it's just a way to say, ah, oh, you know, to the haters proved them wrong. Taya. Uh, well, I, I do think that we cannot let, elements of the broader media get away with a warts and all acceptance of the ends justifying the means every step of the way. I I specifically framed the question when I asked it last week around the 90 minutes exclusively against Peru. Fair enough. And as Joey said, I think we all made peace with that just so we could get through because we all know the benefits of getting through. And it it, it won't just be seen in the senior team. It will be seen when we have X number of physios helping out the young Matildas in Costa Rica later this year because of the windfall of World Cup prize money, right? That's where we get the benefit, not necessarily the senior Socceroos. But I guess my my point is that we, we can't go back and let history be rewritten, that the ends justified the means every step of the way. Starting Conor Metcalf against Japan, but he's not even in this squad. Flying over Adam Taggart to not play. Uh, just 
the the logic or, or lack of logic around selection, and I know one of Ante's big points is it's not selection, it's implementation. But I think the implementation is a point we'll get to later when we talk about whether or not Graham Arnold's taking us to this World Cup. Spoiler alert, I think he is. Uh, but also what happens in November and beyond, and, and that can be in hour number three of today's show. So um, <laughs> I just – but I, I do think that TNC fans – I'm, my theory about TNC is that listeners to TNC repurpose our points to their friends that don't listen to TNC, and that helps lift the tide of the discussion. And and I just think that one thing that we have to leave you with as an impression of today is we cannot go and retrofit all of the mind-boggling decisions along the way through this qualifying campaign because then it does become a five-month victory lap in the lead-up to the World Cup, and all of the means end up justifying the ends when they don't. Really, they don't. Well, you know, I mean, you say that, but uh, as Samuel has pointed out, Gary Lyon said it was one of the greatest coaching moves in Australian sport history. Well, so... if Gary Lyon says that, then forget everything I just said. Gary Lyon, can, Gary, Gary Lyon can barely analyze AFL games. What, what's he going to like? He's just, uh, just head over the footy effort. They don't tackle enough. Like, Stay in your lane, brother. If TNC starts doing AFL, you will have me back every week, fellas, because it's... Uh, <laughs> Let's talk it, the disco it, hawkers. It, at least <laughs> until until the rights change hands, it's not dangerous territory for me. <laughs> um, what's the what's the video that Gary Lyon just... Under, uh, on the stretcher? What well, was that oh, that they yeah. got the air on the footage? <laughs> I mean, you talk about, like, the broader lessons. You know, it's compared it to Stephen Bradbury. No one watched Stephen Bradbury win that race and was like, all right, that's how we got to do it from now on. You got to be coming fourth with, you know, I don't know, 20 meters to go. And obviously you just kind of hope that uh, three people in front of you will fall over, take each other all out, and you'll just cruise to the goal. Like, you, you celebrate it. You say, Stephen Bradbury, congratulations. Mm. You let him do ads for the rest of his life on like betting commercials and I don't know, weird stuff. And, hair you know, loss ads. Yeah, hair loss ads. Oh. And he peers on, like the every occasional you know I celebrity thought, kind of game I show. I that ad was about erectile dysfunction and not hair loss. It is. It's about all like man problems. It's like uh, it's like oh. man, it's like all like it's supposed to be. I think for like an app, like if you're balding or if you've got like. Hey, Arnie, Arnie, it's, it's going. Ad, you know, I'm not saying anything about. The I've bedroom, seen that but... ad that many times on ESPN throughout the playoffs, <laughs> which we love. Uh, sorry, we but, love ESPN. Uh, but we love, the oldest... we love? Was the only person the, in this the conversation playoffs at that? Let's get the pretty good. Just right. before we cut to Phil Murphy, he gives us the stats. <laughs> um, all right, look, you're gonna actually, get us dropped, you idiots. Yeah, look, we just we just really want to quickly praise ESPN, um, our lords and saviors. Uh, you know, just great, great stuff. Um, <laughs> check out the NBA Finals. Uh, really, really good stuff. Um, Subscribe to Disney Plus. Look, Check out uh, the low post. Let's let's you know, let's even things out. Low post, right. best sports podcast out there. I tell you what's Aside a great podcast, TNC. by the way. ESPN Daily. They did a really good episode on uh, Ukraine missing out uh, on the World Cup. Uh, check that out, and also one on Steph Curry uh, college years. Amazing. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, so okay, we've we've established the fact that um, the game we we didn't play well. Uh, you know, we we can say that individuals had their moments, but overall we didn't play well. We don't want to repeat this. Is there anything else from the game itself that we kind of we want to we want to establish before we move on? Yeah, go, Devon. I took a really good penalty, didn't I? 
That was the only thing you did, mate. That was the only thing you did. I think, I, I think what's in, uh, sorry, Joey, go for it. No, I, I felt like if we're looking like talking about what the Socceroos did, I feel as though they were slightly more defensively stout than they were at least against the UAE. Like Peru was still getting into good areas, but I didn't have the same sense of existential dread. Um, no. In this game that I did against the UAE, uh, uh, you know what? I, I personally, I think it's I think it's important to reinforce how similar it was in complexion to both the um, you know Saudi Arabia and Japan games, because ultimately Australia did suffer in terms of territory as a means of you know how we approach both de facto defensive and attacking phases of the game. So the fact that we were you know facing an arguably lesser opponent than a Japan, for example, that that doesn't change the flaws in how the Socceroos have played over the course of this qualification phase. Uh, I think that's important to, to I guess, repeat. Lockie? I just had one uh, one final thing to bring up before I head back to work, and it is a, it's a non-footballing point. I don't know if it's been mentioned already, but uh, during the penalty shootout, obviously we were at, the Australia end, and we saw that video of the John Aloisi jersey <laughs> in the background. I was doing some reading somewhere. Apparently, that guy who had that jersey isn't actually Australian. Um, apparently, he's Austrian. I, if yeah, I can it, find it's Dumb and Dumber, it's, it's the first scene of Dumb and Dumber. We're, we're just gonna, yeah, we're gonna confuse the Americans now. So, well, then, apparently, he is Austrian, uh, and he fell in love with the Socceroos. Yes, when he I remember Yanko fan. So no, I just no, no, I just no. thought He's, I just thought considering how many like, like the seventies, yeah. I just thought considering how many like crossover like fake Australians we well not fake Australians. Not, I don't, don't want to get myself in trouble. I don't want to put on the bomb on the campaign trail. Like <laughs> yeah, Sorry, yeah. wait, wait. The, the soccer that, that, that haircut. The soccer that haircut has taken on a whole new complexion. Yeah, the look. Lucky, we don't need to to reinforce the reality that with the Socceroos, some are more Australian than others. That's okay. <laughs> well, uh, I just wanted to make the point that given how many crossovers we have, I thought it was very fitting that the person who happened to be holding that Australian jersey wasn't actually uh, an Australian. And before I get myself cancelled, uh, with that, I reckon I'm done. Uh, enjoy the rest of the show. <laughs> hey, I tell you what, uh, speaking of friends of the show... Um... Demir Kouas' tweet about uh, Socceroos coming from all the different backgrounds, I thought, uh, was very good. And, you know, like, that is something that absolutely should be kind of celebrated. Tell you, you talk about, like, the wider football media. I mean, this is something, you know, that idiot who writes for the Australian, whatever his name is, you know, who are these people and da 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 And, look, they're not household names with NRI and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I think it is a, a great, thing that only really the Socceroos and the Matildas can do, which is have a such a multicultural team and now be on the world stage. And you saw how many people, whether it was Gary Lyon or, you know, whoever, how many people suddenly who never talk about football, who never give it the light of day, suddenly jumping right on its coattails and be like, yeah, Socceroos, yeah, how good, getting right in there. Joey. Yeah, can I just say, you know, on the subject of mainstream media, can't wait for the next six months of now that there's a... Uh, all expenses paid trip to Qatar uh, available for the mainstream. A lot of the mainstream figures in the media to start covering the Socceroos in a lot more depth now that there's a chance for a bit of a junket uh, on the line. 
Um, but what do you think? It, just on mainstream media, what do you think? Mainstream well, media. Remember last time, last World Cup, it was where, where's Timmy? Why isn't Timmy on? Bring Timmy on. You gotta start Timmy. That was the people who don't really watch the Socceroos. They just all they knew was Tim Cahill scores goals. Get him on. What's going to be the 2022 edition of that? Aaron, Aaron Moy. Moy. Aaron Moy. Aaron Moy. Aaron can, Moy. Can I be? Can I be just really... to play with the highest NRI? Aaron Moy. I'm, I'm going to be really difficult on this, and you're not going to like what I say. But with the home Women's World Cup coming up, I think that. The one of the most beneficial things the Socceroos will have done is it's going to get all of the people who are deep in the weeds and in the tent or at least know where the tent is. It's going to help them get over their snobbery about policing fans of football that are bandwagoners and how they come in and follow the game. I I am perfectly willing to put up with the bad takes and the surface or, you know, completely absent of reasoning uh, opinions of fans because this game cannot, uh, you know, on one hand, is say we're mainstream, we appeal to everyone, we welcome everyone, but then at the same time have a degree of snobbery around how people are allowed to discuss the team. And sorry to strap on the big V here, but you do not, you do not see footy fans policing how bandwagon fans follow Friday night football. You know, I don't have a problem with bandwagon fans, Taylor. But, I've but, got a problem with like the types of people that would talk about, oh, how great are our Socceroos one day, and then print a list of fans' names on the front page of the newspaper. The no, next. no, no, but we agree. We agree on that. We absolutely agree on that. But I mean, that's more about the editors and, and the people who employ the journalists, especially the ones who may be heading away on the junket, uh, which, <laughs> which reminds me, I need to speak to my accountant because it's almost uh, tax time. But um, <laughs> the... Oh, Mr. Big Shot with an account. <laughs> I, th- I, think, I think, look, I, just to, just tangentially to that point, too, like I think it's, you know, the, I guess the importance and the standards that we hold should not be of fans, but of the Australian media. Media. But, but I, I think, because I think they're the ones who ultimately direct can I, can I just, before you go, can I finish my point in that whatever we hear about the Socceroos, the Women's World Cup and the extra layers of just outside the tent sexism and misogyny. And as someone who now sees the comment sections of one of the major football outlets in this country, for all the nuances that we debate women's football with, just rank regular everyday sexism is still the vast majority of negativity around women's football and so I, I do feel as though we have a responsibility to elevate the discussion and I don't want to touch on something another reason I came on today which is what do we have a responsibility to do between now and the World Cup but just just on the you know not to to be a total wowzer about it but we kind of need to let the footy and the rugby league types <laughs> just have their fun and where's Aaron Moy you know we kind of need to embrace them and bring them in because their money is the same color as everyone else. Can I just say one thing? Um, we'll know we've hit the mainstream media pockets when they open AFL 360 tonight talking about the Socceroos and we have Robbo and Jared giving their thoughts on the, on the, on the game. I think that will be, you know, that, that's when we know we've made it. But look, I, I can't just personally, obviously being someone who gets employed by a mainstream media outlet, obviously got to be careful what I have to say. But <laughs> in terms of it, just on a surface level thing. Um, and I, I, we've said this the whole time that there are so many more benefits to making this World Cup in terms of eyeballs and everything else than missing it for that, you know, reset 
the rebuild or whatever the you know the the talk about you know oh we need to miss it because it's the best thing that can happen no it would be the absolute worst thing and Taylor, you mentioned it it's not just at a socceroos level it's the money that comes from actually making the world cup that gets filtered down into our younger teams it's the coverage that this game gets it gives us the opportunity to speak more about the game and give these guys an opportunity to get front and center and you know we as a media, we, we, could, we could talk about the mainstream media, but we as a media, because we're part of that, we're part of that collective, we have that responsibility to try and tell those good stories, but also hold people to account, make sure we're doing our bit to, you know, give the game the best publicity as possible. And if we've got bandwagoners on for a month, which we know that between now, like by the end of this week, before that, to November, there is going to be a period where the bandwagon, you know, AFL, everyday AFL, NRL fan, he's going to jump off for a while. They're going to go back and forget about it this weekend once the footy, the next round of the footy or the, or the rugby's on. But once they come back in November, we can just sit there and we can just, we could do our bit to educate because if they listen to us, maybe they can be a little bit more educated about, you know, the team, about some of the stories, about takes. I know that people look at high NRI and who's playing in the Premier League. But we can do our bit. Like, I'm just saying, like, that's why we've got this podcast. It's it's called the bloody national curriculum for a reason, right? The (laughs) curriculum is to freaking educate. So if we can educate, then we're doing something, doing something proper. So you know what? Like, if they jump on for a month, we have to hear where's Aaron Moy or where's, you know, such and such, some random name who played in the, I don't even know. They might pull out some random name that played in 2014. Daniel Arzani. Where's Daniel yeah. Arzani? <laughs> where's Daniel Arzani? Or they might say, where's that Italian bloke who no, plays but, like le- Legit, you know, where's Daniel something? Arzani? Where's, like, <laughs> legit, though. Cap Volpato, Cap Volpato, Oh, you're already here. <laughs> you wound me up. <laughs> so, so, but, but I guess the good thing is, unlike uh, Germany 2006, the footy show is no longer on the air. And <laughs> Billy Brownless... Billy Brownless doing a nudie run through Qatar is going to go very differently to doing one through a beer garden in Germany. So I don't think we're, we're going to go down that path. No, well, let me just say, I'm very much uh, looking forward to, if he does get the opportunity to go over, finding out who my old man has tried to start a fist fight with or gotten a screaming match on at this World Cup, um, as he is somewhat made of a tradition of at men's and women's World Cups oh, in the oh. past. Can we, can we get some stories? Do we, do we have any details on that? Once he once spent about 10, 15 minutes getting screamed at by a high powered Australian football executive at a World Cup. Oh, oh. I was hoping he tried to punch uh, Billy Brownless or something. That's <laughs> where he was going. Or, or if Billy, after, you're a flog, mate. Flog. After, after Billy did the nudie run in Germany, there was Michael Lynch just chasing behind him. <laughs> the cameras did yeah. if, if I see Billy Brownless on the street, I've rolled the light. Rolled the dump him, dump him. <laughs> Hey guys, if you like this podcast and you like footy, why not join myself, Matt Walsh, Jake Michaels and champion data's Christian Jolly as we break down all things footy with the help of the game's best statisticians. Get the ESPN footy podcast wherever you stream your podcasts every Tuesday. Stoll, um, where did you want to take us next? Because I want to talk about the guys that didn't play, but also the guys who are now in a five-month race against time to make this World Cup squad. I, I, I just, from what I can tell, and it's half joke, half serious, what I what the general gist of our first hour seems to be is quite literally this grab, this video that we use. By all means, enjoy it, but enjoy it by being fucking disciplined here. It's sort of like that. <laughs> Let's enjoy this moment for what it is, 
Australia is through to a fifth straight World Cup, sixth overall. Absolutely fantastic. Great moment in this game's history. Andrew Redmayne's penalty heroics will go down in the annals of of the game's um, folklore. But let's be disciplined and let's not allow a singular penalty save against Peru to wash away the lessons that have been learnt throughout this entire World Cup cycle and the series of events that have led us to this point today. Um, let's not remember that this is the same side that lost, well, that failed to beat China and Oman in eminently winnable games, um, couldn't beat Saudi Arabia or Japan. And let's spend the next few weeks and months not just uh, celebrating what uh, this one penalty save and this one result, but let's talk about why those games happened, um, what needs to change long term, because as you said on the show on uh, Sunday, Ante, generational changes need to happen. Not everything, barely anything in Australian football is going to be fixed um, between now and the World Cup. But let's talk about, you know, it's the cliche. Let's talk about what needs to happen for Australia to go to the World Cup and actually win a game. God forbid. Let's talk about what needs to happen for Australia to get out of the group or win a knockout game. Yeah, well, I just on that, I think it's like, there is so much to enjoy today, whether it is Redmayne or even the kind of individual stories of, you know, people like Awa Mabil and what they've been through and Hrustich, the season that he's had. And, you know, and I hope all those stories get told because I think uh, they're really wonderful stories uh, that, you know, we can all celebrate. But, you know, we were saying before this game that if we miss it, if we win or we don't, it doesn't change what needs to be changed, which is significant reform across the game. And, you know, that would be, I guess, the most dangerous thing to throw out all the discussion points that have been happening across this four-year cycle. You know, there's been huge, you know, we talk about, I don't think anyone thinks or at least shouldn't think that the game is, ah, oh, it's all going well and we've qualified for a fifth World Cup. No worries. You know, the under-23 team might be getting its best result ever at an Asian Cup or whatever. You'd be surprised. You think you think people well, are thinking you, that even 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 internally is because now the gravy train keeps going. Well, the, uh, this is a little bit the worry is that people use it to justify poor performance of their Absolutely. own jobs, and they go, "Well, look, yeah, we made it. Now <laughs> you were you thought we wouldn't make it, but we made it." Well, but like on the subject of the gravy train, ostensibly that shouldn't you know be allowed to be as much as a factor this time because for the better part of a year at least six months if not to a year football australia has been talking about how they would be able to survive the it it can survive uh without making uh the men's world cup because of a diversification in sponsors because of the success of the matildas and making a women's world cup um because of the unbundling we have had the past six months to a year you know being told that it's not i think what what was the the current talk like in the end, if Australia missed out on this World Cup, it would only be something like $4 million that they would miss out on once you take into account the expenses of actually competing at a World Cup and the like. So the gravy train angle shouldn't really be a factor this time, even though it potentially could be. It shouldn't <laughs> It shouldn't be a factor this time. If we are, which we love to do on this show, hold people to the standards that they themselves say they should be held to. 
Um, look, we welcome your comments. Uh, and just on bandwagon fans, 1969 CMP stands. Bandwagon fans help create attention and momentum and either from within the bandwagon or alongside the bandwagon, use solid long-term fans stay. That happened in 1997 with myself. Um, you know, Aussie That's DNA sure. right there. I, I just want to clarify. I, I have zero problem with bandwagon fans. Like I the same thing. I remember... In primary school, uh, the Sydney Olympics came around. We all had to do a little project on um, this, uh, one of the sports. I created a little poster about it. One of my mates, um, I was I hated him because he got given football and I didn't. I got given synchronized. <laughs> I got given synchronized swimming, um, but he got given football. Had never watched a game before in his life. Became a fan of the game based on that. Bandwagons watched the Ollie Roos at the Sydney Olympics. Became a fan ever since. Now he's followed the game. Counterpoint, so Joey, you are not on a synchronized swimming uh, podcast. You should have, you should have, that moment should have been the moment that you were like, this is the best uh, sport in the world. Just uh, the movement, the synchronicity. Of the, the no, they don't, have the, they don't have that juice, but they don't have, they didn't have juice, the, man. and they didn't have the pathways. I didn't see people like me. I didn't see men doing the sport. So I just didn't, you can't be what you can't see. It's um, hard so to see anything because they're underwater. So it's really only their legs that you can identify with. The, these days, after what graft versus host disease has done to my back, nobody wants to see me with my um, shirt off. Uh, but like, so I love um, bandwagon fans. What I dislike is, you know, seeing what, what was his name? The Australian bloke, Will, whatever his name. The Swanton Bomb. Yes, Will Swanton. <laughs> I dislike seeing people like him, people like, you know, that will spend years shitting on the sport, but then all of a sudden will start paying attention for six months when there's a freebie or there's, you know, something on the line, and then we'll F off again. And I, or, I also... Can, yeah. Or can cynically use the outlet they write for by hanging the front page of a news limit... Sorry, uh, hanging the front page of the most read daily publication in each city in front of the FFA in order to get an exclusive, you know? And, and you know, hey, this one day will be nice to you, and then we'll resume normal service. Look, as a uh, Channel 9 employee, I'm just glad people aren't talking about the City Morning Herald after the last few days. Um, uh, just, uh, I, I just want to ask before we move on, because we're going to go to listener questions in a second. Just one of the, like, the, this whole game was absolutely like a mind F. But how crazy was it when, was it on the, which penalty was it where everyone's... Uh, <laughs> Basically, picture just froze. Yeah, the, and we the, only the, had the, the satellite, oh, yeah. the satellite feed froze. Yeah, which which penalty was it? it was like the fifth. It was it, it was if Peru had missed, it was game over. But they scored, so I think it was when the Australia was. Yeah, Peru's fifth. So we were four <clears throat> three up at the time, and that was the penalty that made it four four. I mean. Like, you know, like I say this as a producer, and my understanding was that it wasn't Channel 10's fault at all. It was the incoming feed, and they don't really have any control over that. Oh, my God. If this – like, imagine, like, the timeline, right? Australian football, we don't see the winning penalty because it goes to a free – like, just imagine that. Remember the meme where they had the uh, the, um, the NAB ad? 
if oh, I yeah. had any shootout was on but Channel do, 7. Do you, know, do you know who that would have been really bad for? It would have been really bad for Qatar. Because you might remember during the Euros, Azerbaijan was the one venue that constantly had issues with the satellite feed. That again, if it's the world feed, everyone in the world is getting those pictures. And if the world feed is the problem, then everyone around the world gets the same problem. So the yes, it would have been tough in Australia, but it would have been even tougher on Qatar because they are in a race against time for infrastructure that they're probably not going to finish. And if they cannot get the broadcast right and they're going to threaten the revenue of the people that make the tournament happen, oh boy, that would have been... Uh, I, I still think it could be red alert, the fact it happened at all, never mind the fact we didn't miss the key moment of the uh, deciding the game. It, it actually happened a couple of times, uh, I noticed as well, like right at the start of the game when the team lineups were happening. Uh, the picture froze, so the graphic went over it. So I don't think many people noticed, but you know, it was a little bit of a work. Mm. I was going to say something about you know a certain other thing. Stole you mentioned off air in our group chat about what it could have been, but we've got a Channel Ten, uh, you know, Viacom CBS employee here, so uh, I don't know if I want to say it about you know certain ad breaks. So. Best that didn't happen. Like, <laughs> let's, just move, let's just move on. <laughs> what, uh, inter- international curriculum uh, going on. Uh, Ignacio Pacino Acuna says, "Congratulations, Socceroos! Greetings from Argentina and beat France, please." It was already nice. did that this morning. I'm good, man. We finally fucking beat them. It was nice. Um, all the Chileans and the Colombians getting uh, on the Socceroos train <laughs> to smash Peru. I love what I love. Oh, sorry, are, are we still? Are you still okay with the Chileans? I'm glad to hear it. Me personally. Ante knows. Ante knows. <laughs> was, I, was I against the Chileans? Oh, oh my goodness. It, it, it was funny, like, people talking about how, like, Andrew Redmayne's never going to have to buy himself a beer again in Australia. No, he absolutely will, because by this time next month, most of Australia will not re- re- remember what um, Andrew Redmayne looks like. Andrew Redmayne Australian will never have to buy a able to afford a beer. Going into the next three months. All right, Mr. Big Short. Um, uh, Andrew, Redmayne, your home loans Andrew Redmayne is never going to have to buy a beer in Colombia and Chile anymore because they will remember that bloke's face for the rest of their lives and he will walk in and just go, hey, you beat Peru. Okay, Can I just say, poor, poor bloke is going to go say he's in Melbourne's northern suburbs. If he goes anywhere, you know, above Alexander Parade or below that period in Brunswick, Fitzroy or uh, Abbotsford, Collingwood, they're all going to look, he's have uh, about hundred doppelgangers with the same shaved head beard combo. So poor bloke is going to be just in the middle of a big pack here if he came to Melbourne. It might be all right in Sydney. I don't know um, what, if there's like a, a Fitzroy hipster community in Sydney style, but uh, yeah. Oh, there's many, there, there's many hipsters. You're asking uh, a man who lives in Surrey Hills. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> Like, have you ever walked around Newtown, Nick Nirvana? It's like just... It's no. A, it's a joyous, I, it's a joyous I, night. The last time I, I went like to... a cop because I was wearing shoes. <laughs> the, last time I... <laughs> the last time I went to Sydney actually was when we beat Honduras. I was at that game. So it's been, what, four and a half years since then? So I, I don't remember. I stayed in Ramwick and then got a train to, to Homebush and went to Manly during the day. That's all I, I went. Didn't go football, I'll all be right. there next weekend, Sydney. Watch out. 
um, uh, Hello, ladies. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, look, I that game. Since two in the morning. <laughs> that game. Well, actually, just quickly on uh, that game, you guys were in the press conference, the virtual press conference afterwards. What was the kind of mood, the takeaway, the what? What was Arnie saying? What were the players? Well, saying? no, we weren't in the uh, virtual press conference because, as we were informed, it's a FIFA-run event, and FIFA weren't doing a digital press conference. Um, so what happened was that uh, we were given Zoom links to chat to uh, Andrew Redmayne and Awa Mabil, oh. who were both loose and celebratory, yeah. as you would expect. And in the current state that they were in, you can't glean much technical know-how on the like there. I mean, like, yeah, what was the mindset? They were like well, bloody over the moon. One one comment that was interesting from uh, Redman was that Matt Ryan actually didn't know this yes, wasn't that was... a pre-planned thing. And actually, you got to say, he handled it very well because it did seem like that. You have to give a lot of credit to the way that Matt Ryan handled that. I mean, we've seen, you know, it was the Kepper incident was actually brought up to Andrew Redman <laughs> in one of the questions. And no, you have to give massive credit to Matt Ryan for his conduct in that, you know, his leadership getting around. Um, Andrew Redmayne, because yeah, he probably he probably spent well the second it went to extra time. I imagine as a goalkeeper, Matt Ryan is um, just starting to think about penalties in the back of his mind. Uh, so to get dragged off with one minute left, he's probably to be honest, it's probably I have no idea what he was feeling. It's just such a massive. Did- I mean, they're probably the only man that could relate is Tim Krull. Yeah. No, Red sorry, Main... the bloke that Tim Cool replaced. Uh Sillison. Did yeah. Redmayne um did Redmayne know yeah. that he was coming on? Sorry, uh this is the thing. Like I actually asked him when were you entertaining the possibility that you were going to come on? And it was like halfway through uh the first half of extra time. Okay, so, so he, he wasn't really, yeah, he wasn't really kind of like, yeah. So I actually asked about that in, in relation Which... to how is it, how is it, how is it affecting his mind state? How is he, you know, because if it's an interesting thing because you, you know, it's, you'd have to, you'd have to keep a poker face on the bench. Especially it just feels like a massive yeah. roll of dice from Arnie. Yeah. Like it doesn't feel like this was okay. If we get, you know, we'll play for pants, we'll get to nil all. You know, Redmayne has been studying the penalty takers for three months, and this is why he's in the squad. It genuinely well, kind of just feels like he's like, you know what? But, I love Redders. No, but yeah. how but how get relaxed there, how relaxed was Redmayne? He's like laughing when he's talking to Matt Ryan and John Crawley in the break between extra time finishing and the penalty shootout. They, his his body language was unbelievably well, calm. What we actually real- spoke on that though, in terms of their relationship, yeah. both you know, between Vukovic, Redmayne, Ryan, and Crawley, they, you know, he spoke on how tight a relationship they all have between each other and how they all you know, support each other, irrespective of the circumstance. So, yeah, like, it was pretty interesting to see. But, Joey, go for it. Well, I, I just wanted to add, it was really interesting. One thing he said, he talked about, because he was doing his dancing and his hind jinks and all of that, and, yeah, it looks very funny, but there's actually a really high degree uh, of risk with that in the sense that if he comes no off his line or he, you know, doesn't do something right. Your feet yeah, if his like feet are set, if is, he does, yeah, yeah, like if he's coming off his line, anything, it gets called back. I mean, if he accidentally moves forward or backwards with that jump, which he all very almost did, 
in the lead into that, he sort of like jumped upwards. And I actually asked him if he almost fell over. He said he didn't. But and that was know. that was actually that was uh, one of the interesting responses. You know, from that last penalty, you see Matt Ryan kind of thinking like everyone's gone off to celebrate with Redmayne, and then Ryan's thinking, oh, he might have come off his line, so he's kind of yeah. waiting for confirmation first. Yeah, um, but. But it's such thing, a fine line. Like, like, yeah, it's such a fine line. And he's doing all that. And he revealed to us that he didn't have a chance to practice that at training because they were doing mock penalty shootouts. But as the third choice goalkeeper, um, Matt Ryan, no, sorry, Andrew Redmayne wasn't trying to save them as Andrew Redmayne. He was trying to save them as the UAE, as the UAE and Peru goalkeeper. And they don't do that. Yeah. So it was like real practice squad vibes. He wasn't goalkeeping as Andrew as Andrew Redmayne. He was goalkeeping as the UAE and Peru goalkeeper standing on the spot, not doing his dance. So he did that on muscle memory. Maybe he does it in the hotel room before games. I don't know. But so you're saying he's you're practice. saying he's the Damien Mizdow of goalkeepers, Joey. <laughs> Why, why don't I get that reference? That's Is that wrestling or AFL? <laughs> Look. I want to before hey, I want to give fire. I want to give a shout out to uh, all the people watching in Australia, but around the world. Uh, Andrea says congratulations, Australia from Mexico. Uh, Giacomo Romagnoli says hello from Romagnoli. Romagnoli, come on, Romagnoli, Romagnoli, Romagnoli. Sorry. <laughs> As Australia, you are an amazing team. Congratulations, greetings to Peru. Um, lovely to hear from Peru and Mexico. Great stuff, guys. Yeah, let us know. I mean, you know what? This is the internet. Just make up where you're watching. Right? Hi, I'm watching from the moon. We'll say it. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll happily become the international curriculum. Like, yeah, no absolutely. problem. Can I just say, uh, just on Edmund's comment here about uh, Jersey Dudek, when I actually saw him doing on the line, there was a little bit of uh, PTSD. Uh, in that moment as a Milan fan thinking oh no I've seen this story before but this time I'm rooting for it I like I don't I don't I don't want to see this but uh yeah um I just wanted to also answer one more question that actually came through a lot earlier from Alan Alan Riley good uh you know great fan of the show friend, friend of the, of the show friend, friend of, the of the show friend of the show all right Joey, as you said, you've been up since 2.30. We've all been up quite early. My brain is fogging up, all right? Um, who would have I supported if Australia didn't get through? Well, Olive oil supremacy, man. Come on. It would, you have, know it you... would, have, it would have had to have been one of the Mediterranean teams. <laughs> like, it would have had, except... It except... wouldn't have been, Nick. You know damn well you would have been supporting whoever England was playing on that day. Well, that's who we're all supporting. You, you, you ended my point before I got there, Joey, because that is part of it. I would be one day an Iran fan, one day a USA fan, one day a Wales fan, but also... I've ACO, had... clip that, one day an Iran fan, <laughs> Nick Cabano. <laughs> Eddie Scorchich, good coach, man. But the, the other thing is I've had... Another uh, great friend of the podcast, Pakua Frimpong, in my ear telling me from the second Italy got eliminated to get on the Ghana bandwagon. And the fact that they're bringing in some certified ballers who are coming in now um, that have pledged their allegiance to their national team. I got to say, guys, I got a bit of a soft spot for Ghana. She's, she's won me over a little bit with it. They got some ballers. I still have a soft spot for going away back to 2010. You know, that they got hard done by in that quarterfinal. I want to see them do well. So, uh, yeah, but but look, it's good that at least uh, I have one team because it was going to be a tough, tough World Cup if uh, both Italy and Australia weren't there. I I just have to make a serious point here. Um, oh, no. Piss off. No, like, <laughs> I mean, 
I I was just thinking about it this morning, like that the fact that you know I live in a time where Croatia and Australia can both be at a World Cup. Like it's pretty cool. Yeah, you know, I think about I think about my my dad and like the fact that you know he had to leave for Australia because he couldn't say he was Croatian. And now, you know, and then you take into account as, as well, like Australia's long and arduous road from 74 to 2006. And these were people who almost had lifetimes, you know, or you know, significant chunks of their lifetime, not seeing Australia at a World Cup, for example. And, you know, I, I, I feel incredibly lucky and blessed, like with, with, with this all being said about, you know, how and why and you know how how and why Australia can improve and our desire for improvement like at the base of it all I still feel incredibly lucky that we do have this possibility in that respect so a thousand percent man think think where we like when we I think all all of us kind of started watching football late 90s early 2000s maybe Taylor a little earlier um (laughs) Nick a little later because he's so young (laughs) (laughs) just Man, it was brutal being an Australian football fan. The national team barely ever came back to Australia to play anyway. They were playing, you know, most of our games in London or whatever. We, you know, uh, played not really. We played a couple of games in Oceania and stuff like that. But I remember, you know, it was rare to see the national team. You know, we, I really didn't think kind of in 2001. In a big game specifically, in a game that yeah, like yeah, yeah. really mattered. Yeah. Um, I didn't think that we would get. You know, and oftentimes when they did come back to Australia, we, we didn't have our best players and it always yeah. kind of felt like it didn't matter as much. And, you know, to go to five World Cups, I tell you who is absolutely cheering today, SBS, SBS advertisers, all right? Because let me tell you, they probably were thinking, oh, man, we're not going to make a World Cup. We're going to, you know. You're man, man, <laughs> i got to tell you, they would have been cheering today. Hey, I want to uh, shout out a few comments coming in. Uh, direct message says he's watching from Chechnya. That's great to hear. 1969 CMP says watching from Burkina Faso. Uh, Jack Pantelios says... <laughs> Hello, oh, from the edge of civilization. Anyway, so like... I believe it's pronounced Adelaide. 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 Call, call, call up, call up Lucy and get some help on that pronunciation next time. She's got some thoughts. <laughs> Hey, um, I want to say Ignacio says, I must say, I didn't expect this Australia get this, this far. We didn't expect it, Ignacio. No, you, you, you really shut thousands of mouths, including ours, including ours. Sorry about no. that English dude. Like, I'm well, like, you're doing no, well. I think, doing well. I think you saw Nick stole something about teeth in our mouths earlier. You saw oh, some yes. commentary. Uh, uh, Mr. Chip. Mr. Mr. I- Mr. Chip. Yeah, go on. Can I just say, when I saw that comment saying, sorry about that English dude, I thought he was talking about Joey when I first read it. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yes, very good, Nick. Very good. I thought Ignacio might be like a stall burner or something for a second. (laughs) Sorry about that. Louise says, hello, Australian friends from Peru. Congratulations. You were much better than Peru. The Peruvian press was very bad with you and the Peruvian players looked down on you. Uh, Many mouths were silenced today. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, the the thing was, Peru did feel like, and we, we take that, uh, you know, we we really accept your. Uh, it's very gracious of you, Lewis, to say that. Um, Peru did kind of feel like they were going just to celebrate, have the party. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think Josh said they, they felt nervous. No, no, I, I, I saw I saw a lot of nerves. You don't send you don't send the shaman up the mountain to cast spells if you're feeling confident. I mean, we had John Sa- we had John Saffron do exactly the same thing in 2005, and, and 
I made this comparison. I made this comparison with Joey uh, and Michelle Escobar. I'm going to plug Optus again on an Optus live Twitter space last night. Um, that we see the TV presenter imitating the kangaroo, but that's because the the medium of communication in Peru is still television. In Australia, we've got Evan Morgan Graham churning out the memes. You know, yeah. we, we just we just communicate differently with yeah. our banter. In Peru, it's still a televised panel show on mainstream media. Here, it's people who are self taught in Photoshop. That's the difference, really. Yeah, you know, and, and also they're feeling like. 24 hours of content a day and there's so many shows about it and you know and, and you clip it out the worst 10 seconds of it but if there's on, anyone Nick. in peru can tell us so they have their own version of el chiringuito like i, I we, we like that would have been box office watching it after the uh after the loss um just a, a bit of a this is a bit of for my own personal brand but uh bit disappointed in lapadula's output as much as it's great he didn't score <laughs> I think for my own personal brand, going into bat for him on Sunday and then he didn't really do much. Uh, I was a little bit disappointed. Good penalty. That early, but... that early chance was a big one, man. Yeah, but other that than that, it just, he uh, yeah, he yeah, the ball, the ball. If he scored with Hello. his face, it would have been hold the hold most a goal possible. So. <laughs> Guest appearance again. Say hello. Hi, Joe. Hey. Can I say hi? Yes, say hi. <laughs> Joe, she, <laughs> well, she can't. She can't hear you because I'll get the headphones in. But she, obviously, you can hear her on the mic. Um, <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> Joey's mom is from Alan Riley. Lovely to watch this from Carlisle, where Joey's mum is from. Mum, mum. One thing I wanted. And there, she's uh, making fun of my accent. <laughs> she picked up on it. <laughs> Uh, tell her there are people watching. She asked me to say plan. You bastards. <laughs> hey, I want to ask between now and November, what changes with this team? Obviously, we saw in 2013, we qualified under, you know, Holger, and Holger was, uh, you know, fired after some pretty terrible uh, results against Brazil and France from memory. Um, you know, often the team that qualifies, the squad is quite different, although usually there's a lot longer period. I think there's usually like an eight, nine month period between qualifying and the World Cup. How much do you think this squad changes? And do any of you guys think there's a chance? I mean, I think Arnie for sure will take us there. I don't know necessarily whether that's the... the Arnie is a thousand percent taking us there. Take that to the bank. Yeah. No, all good. Does anyone think we would be better off replacing him and then, I guess, with who is available? No. no, Not no. even point. Not even a point. To, no, there's no point. Yeah. There's no point. There's, a, there's no there's point. And B, we've established... Well, I've established on my position on this, on this show, just federations shouldn't get rid of the coaches they have appointed for a cycle. Like they yeah. should dance with the one they, they brought. Stick it yeah. yeah. Like he, like Arnold's Arnold's vision is what football Australia chose for this cycle and they should see it through. And they, if they would have been knocked out against Peru today, they would have had to live with the consequences. If they'd been knocked out against UAE, they would have had to live um, with the consequences. And, if they get pumped six 0 every game of the World Cup, they will have to live with the consequences. Yeah. That's like I, that's, I, I, what I was, point, that's why we have technical staff and that absolutely. appoint these people. Well, absolutely. we have we have advice. I, I, oh. <laughs> I don't know. I was I was yeah. I'm I'm of I'm, I'm a similar stance. Like even after Australia was knocked out in the Asian Cup in 2019, I I, I wrote and said like Australia should should stick by their choice here and. 
Yeah, um, that that's not a commentary on whether you know how I how good or bad I believe Graham Arnold is as a coach at international level or how compatible he is at international level. But this is a decision Australian football has made. Australian football should stick by it. And, you know, for once, show some consistency. I, I want to ask about the ticking clock. We saw Harry Suda in the tunnel, on the field after the game, even doing a bit of live on the phone, behind the scenes stuff. So uh, here, the first group game that we play at the World Cup will be 53 weeks, one year and one week after his torn ACL. Do we take it as read that the level of professionalism and care he is getting from both club and country will rehab him in time? And does anyone actually have any insights into how soon he might be returning to club football? Because he's probably the obvious ticking clock and then anything else we discuss is really more qualitative squad composition discussions as opposed to literally can someone play or not in his case? I don't have any insights into how his recovery is going, but I would say we've seen what the Socceroos staff did surrounding Aaron Moy to get... I'm going to ignore Nick Stoll. We saw what they did surrounding Aaron Moy, a player that they deemed necessary and pivotal to their play, the resources that they put into getting him ready for these qualifiers. If they deem, if they deem Harry Sutar to be as important as I think they do, I would not be surprised if, you know, Andrew Clark moves in with him over the coming months to just help him with Look, his rehab and all of that sort of stuff. Can I just say, reading uh, just a quick article, Don Bossy wrote today that he's already resumed training with Stoke and he will be fit in time for the World Cup. So you'd assume that if he's already started training, he will maybe get a, get a few games in, uh, at least of club-level football. Uh, I don't know if he'll be fit, say, day one of the, of the season. He might, knowing you know modern advancements with recovering from ACLs and everything. I know every player is different well, with their recovery. We're already nine months in. Yeah, so there's every every no. I think is it seven? It was in November. Uh, November, yeah. yeah. So oh, sorry. Yeah, early early November. Sorry. Yeah. So that. so we're we're closing in. There's every chance he could be fit match day one of the championship next season. But I think if he's fit, he's going. Like there's no doubt about it. He will be there. That's he'll, um, yeah, he'll so, start. He'll be yeah, getting every chance he's, to start. He's, he's he's starting in that first game. So um, for me, yeah, I think it's a no-brainer. If he's ready to go, he's gone. The other thing is the A-League-based players in the squad. Now, we believe the season's starting in October. So how many A-League men's games are actually going to get played before the World Cup? And does it mean that the only hope of someone like a Marco Tilio keeping his spot in the Socceroos is to seek out a six-month loan so that he starts his club season in July rather than starting it in October? I mean, correct me if I've got my dates wrong here, but does anyone in the A-League actually have to think about a move in order to save their prospects for getting selected in time for a November World Cup? Redmayne. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, well that, that's if that's if Tilio is still there. He might already be gone by then. Right. That's the same with Goodwin as well. He might be going back to his loan club, yeah. considering they want him back now they got promoted. But, I mean, even, even someone who's on the outer fringe, like, mm-hmm. say, I don't know, an Andrew Naboot, you know, a Ryan Grant... D'Agostino. Um, D'Agostino. I, can't, I can't see Ryan Grant forcing his way back into this side now. That Ahead of Atkinson and Cutter. No, yeah, seem yeah. entrenched. I can't see Ryan Grant. Yeah, outside of injury. Well, is there anyone else in the A-League who I've forgotten then that, that needs uh, to... Well, apparently... Who's, well, who's, who's the a, talk? All right, let's... More interesting question, sorry. Who's an A-League bolter? Well, to tell you what, he was no, very Jacob, close Jacob apparently Farrell. this time. Lockie Wales. Mm-hmm. 
He was, one of the was very players, close. Yeah. He was he was he very was, close yeah. to this one. Can when does the squad? I'm just get telling you what announced. the scuttlebutt is, aren't I? Oh, no. I understand. I understand. <laughs> when when it, when is the squad getting announced? Uh, I believe it would be in October, wouldn't it? Like so, they announced it. Is there going to be a chance for any A League players to? Like they play themselves into the squad, you know what I mean? <laughs> the, because the, there's, the, if there's no games, mate. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to get in off Australia Cup performances. The, sure. the only chances you're going to get, Damien Iconis, it's finally his time. Morven <laughs> 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 City, Morven City, still in. It's going to be, it's going to be like either Australia Cup or you perform in a high NRI match in the in the in the European friendlies that they've got here in July. Like, what about, Jesus what about Fornaroli? Does Fornaroli get in? I think no I, no, I don't think so. But I think the one that to keep the an eye on random well, well, on the subject of A League <laughs> Bolters. <laughs> no, a ser- serious point. Subject of A League Bolters, the Kundog. Yeah, I think if he didn't get in this time, he's not going to get in. This is um, genuine quest. Another one as well. You're talking about a player that I think could honestly maybe look at getting that move overseas. Taylor, if he's looking to get some games to maybe put himself in the frame. Well, I mean, Ben Falami got called up last minute for that last window. He had a good season. Could he be a player that maybe goes overseas, gets some games, puts himself at least in the shop front? Um, I can't see him leaving victory, but I think he's someone who's like close enough at least. Do we think are there are any players that will push really hard because of the this calendar issue because if I'm an A-League player on the fringe, I would be massively now pushing for an overseas move just to get games in, just to play myself into the squad. Well, because if well, you're at Sydney is, FC or whoever. Given given Davidson's performance against Jordan, what is our depth chart at left back behind as is Bayage now? Ben Garuccio and Joel ben King. Garuccio. But Ben Garuccio is looking like he's right on the outer at the moment. They had a pretty good season. I I'm thinking more in terms of depth. Um, if there's anywhere where, like, realistically, where there could be, let's say, a significant change, it's the centre back stocks aside from Suter. Um, so that does bring in, let's say, if you're thinking about Bolters, for example, that's my, bringing a Jay Rich Baglu into account. My boy. Um, uh, even a Philip Chunchut into account. For example, um, um, what, what about what about another potentially uh, dual citizen centre back? Oh, it's Fiji in Australia. <laughs> Alessandro boy. Alessandro Chircati. Chircati, Cap Chircati, Cap Chircati. Hey, Chircati's playing. All right. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, like, look, I, I think if there's anywhere, um, you know, realistically, where there could be. Uh, you know, an upheaval in terms of stocks. I reckon it's at centre back because, hey. to be honest, I think this window is yeah. Even even the last window where we've had, you know, the likes of Jeremy Stenson's playing at centre back as well. Like, uh, I'm I'd be intrigued to see how this develops. Ante, you've been watching uh, the Australian under twenty three team uh, in their tournament. Uh, Edmund asks, how many of the current uh, squad may be picked for Qatar? Is there anyone? You Under two and a half. <laughs> I mean, you speak of uh, like people pushing. I mean, will there be a push for Qual? Given how, but, but the thing is, Qual, Qual at least is going to have he's going to have a, a couple of extra months of club football that Cummings and D'Agostino mm. won't. And uh, Taggart's going to go back to the J League, but the J League also. When does the J League season end? Oh, uh, November. That's, that's a yeah. yeah so, that's, a, that's a pretty. 
that will run perfectly for yeah. Taggart to get his fitness back. Yeah. But I mean, Qual needs to play first team football. I don't think we're going to pick yes. him if he's not, especially given some of the hierarchical issues that have cropped up um, with regards to the politics of Tilio's selection, you know, super sub for club, super sub for country. So. Um, interesting question raised by Jesse Jenkinson. Does Aaron Moy need to look for a new club just to get some game time? Well, this was going to this be is a Tim Cahill scenario, legit. This is, uh, but it's also one of the things that I want to bring up. Ostensibly, in the months ahead, Dennis Genre is going to start playing league the Uber in the Uber Eats, Uber Eats Liga. Like, like we'll, we'll get Getty Image, uh, the Getty Image database will be populated with uh, images of Dennis Yonro marking Lionel Messi. Well, Joey, um, does it? No, no, but that's the thing. What if, what if the Uber Eats doesn't fix your PSG to play Toulouse before the World Cup break? Marseille, Payet, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> nah, bro. Hey, Lee. You know how gargantuan that photo of Jonro and Mayet is going to be? That's like. <laughs> It's like that's as big as, uh, you know, Ronaldo and Benzema in the race at Bayern at Allianz Stadium or, you know, Iniesta getting marked by five, six Italian players. Like the, mm. the stature of this photo will be there. Yeah. Just stay out. Wait for genre in the I, I, got, race, man. I got a genuine question for you guys. We're talking about, you know, A-League players that could play for the Socceroos and the, the minutes sort of situation. <laughs> in this current squad, how many of those players do you think will be like exempt from not playing, say, too much football in the early stages, but are like nailed in? Because the three that I can see that will probably get selected without, say, playing a huge body of work before that season are probably Andrew Redmayne as a backup goalkeeper, Jamie McLaren, and Matthew Leckie. Fair enough. Like, as the three that will probably go, yeah. If like you know, because let's be real, right? Like, if they're available. They're probably going to go. I mean, Redmayne is probably going to go as a backup. Leckie is what he's the he was the former captain. He's been starting every game, and Jamie McLaren is ostensibly Australia's backup. If not, they're starting number nine. It depends on the game. Well, just Arnie has proven that he has his people that he likes, and he picks them kind of consistently. So that says to me he'll stay with what he knows rather than saying, oh, you haven't played enough, so you're out. Like, which player has he told, you're not playing enough, so you're out of this team? I mean, another question is, is someone like Masluongo a chance to come back? No. No? Why I, hope, I hope so. <laughs> what, what over the past four years, irrespective of injury and, you know, in terms of what's format club level, what evidence there is is to suggest that there'll be a significant change in tact or approach with respect to Longo? That just going off the body of evidence, like I, I just find that unlikely. Um, another bolter that, uh, however lamentable that is, and Sorry. and look, let us know in in the comments. Um, you know, who you think should be in the squad. Uh, Torres says, I'm told that Oliver Bazanic is going great guns in the era 51 Premier League. <laughs> so, you know, that is fantastic news. Uh, I'm surprised that, you know, anyone's actually spotted him. But, uh, you know, congratulations to Bazanic. Um, Nick, there was a question for you that came in. Joey, I know you have to go. Do you have to go right now? Do you want to say anything before you leave? Uh, go Socceroos. <laughs> 
Well said, well said. Debano, uh, question for you. Legitimate question for Nick. Uh, so Swallow are reportedly interested in Christian Volpato as part of the Roma swap deal for Davide Fratelli. Fratelli is pretty very cool. Fratelli. Fratelli Fresh, terrible restaurant. Uh, should Volpato play more consistently? Is he a hashtag bolter? But does he want to be a bolter? Like, does he want to play for Australia? He might want to try his luck with Italy. That's the question we need to keep asking. Like, nah, who cares? Stole, Look, stole. But, but stole, he's actually got to think, like, because he's, he's come out on the record and said he wants to play for Italy. So if he yeah. wants to play for Italy now, then let him play for Italy. But on that move for him, personally, that is a freaking awesome move for him if he goes to Suswala. If you're going to get minutes as a youngster, you're going to get the best sort of, you know, environment to develop. It would be amazing for him to go to Suswallow because there's actually scope for him to play because they're doing a big clean out of like just, you know, Scamaca, Raspadori, Berardi, uh, Traore, they're all out the door. So that's going to open up potential opportunities for him, whether he's as a starter or as a backup. So honestly, if that deal comes through and he goes to Suswallow and he starts playing and look, if he turns around, he plays well for a couple months for, for Sassuolo. And he says, I want to play for Australia. And he changes his mind and they, they dangle the carrot. And he says he wants to play for Australia. I have said time and time again, if the kid is playing and he's playing well and he wants to play for Australia, then cap him. But if he's not playing, then it's like anyone. We talk about A-League players not playing. It's the same. You, you can't set different you know parameters for different players uh, based on that. So, um, look, it'd be a good move for him. If he gets the move and he starts playing and he says, yep, I want to just take my punt and just play for Australia at this World Cup, sure, why not? But I think right now, as well, there's one thing to remember is I just can't see this squad changing too much. Let Like being 110% real. This squad, considering the calendar, considering this is a mid-season World Cup, I don't see it changing too much from what we've already seen. Maybe from the squad that was picked... Um, for this round, you probably can include Harry Suter. You can include Tom Rogic if he decides he wants to play, um, you know, and maybe a couple others. But other than that, I really can't see it changing hell of a lot unless there's injuries. Like there's a spate of injuries that happens from now between then and, and November. The other thing is 26 uh, man squads. So extra three yeah. names there. Uh, we'll add to it. Um, look, persistency pays off, and uh, Karen has been giving plenty of comments in the YouTube, which we love to see. Hello, Australian brothers from, I'm going to say, Sligo Island. Uh, today I felt Australian. Some players are of Irish origin and will represent us in the cup. Peru could win it if it was at home and away game, but it was not. It was not. Uh, she also says uh, Nick Stoll looked like Shane Filan of Westlife and Harry Kill Mix. I'm actually wearing Harry Kill's jumper. Um, and then also Nick DeBano looks like Matt Hummels. I mean, that's a bit of a classic. That's for the very first episode. I even got a, uh, a a Kevin Richardson from the Backstreet Boys. (laughs) I gotta say, Karen, you, you, this might be your calling mixing football players and boy band members and, and, and who the, I don't even know who that is. I don't know who that is. Josh Saviano. Let's uh, let's Google this. I'm going to Google this. It's an American lawyer that, uh, was a former child actor in the wonder years on ABC. He's played Kevin Arnold's best friend. Uh, Karen, who does Theo look like? Let us know. (laughs) Um, 
Steven, you, you don't you don't know what a point of contention that's been actually in the last week. <laughs> actually, uh, two of you uh, in this chat, and Devano knows. Anyway, I don't know. What was um, Stephen <laughs> Gunnar says zoned out. Volpato is never going to play for the Socceroos. People just need to accept it. Mate, is this guy ever going to play football? Because he's played three minutes for Roma, and he's done a five-minute package on Optus, all right? He's done he's, more on Optus than he's done for Serie A. He's done he's, – he's, we've, we've spent more time on him than he's actually played minutes on this podcast. So, and like, storage spec, sorry, like uh, more yeah. tweets than minutes. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, more it's, haircuts than minutes. Like, goodness. It's actually, it's actually getting annoying now. Just let the kid play and just get off my back, please. Like, I'm, I'm over it, okay? I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. Um, Salim uh, commenting from Peru. Hello, dear. You know, how nice are the Peruvians? Hello, dear Australian friends. Oh, my goodness. Like, thank you so much. Um, you are a very powerful team. Hmm. It's because we have good Aussie DNA. I don't know if that translates for you, Salim. Uh, <laughs> Peru played lousy. Which Peruvian player gave you more concern or fear? Thanks and success. What a great way to sign off, by the way. Thanks and success. Thanks and success. Peña. <laughs> you know what? i got to say, uh, I was very disappointed with Cueva. I mean, oh, I wasn't sorry, disappointed. Sorry, Peña. Because he didn't play badly, but I mean, but, but it was just the, like he was so Cueva, Look, the Cueva, like I said, the the Cueva, uh, talked about this on Sunday night. Like, your tune incorporates Cueva, the positions in which Cueva can receive the ball. A lot of times, Cueva received the ball this morning, a lot of it's in isolation, and yeah. so that's why they went down Sergio Pena's side predominantly. Um, yeah, like. You know what? I would love if anyone is watching uh, from Peru and I'd love to know the reaction from the Peruvian media and the Peruvian people. Let us know in the comments what they've been because, you know, coming into this <clears> match, <throat> obviously there was a lot of, you know, they were very confident coming in. OMG, Peruvian football has died tonight. <laughs> imagine, imagine. Imagine the SEN version of Peru tonight and the well, talkback on the on, on their version of overnights. Like no, no, no their version, to... their their version of Finney's Finney's final Finey's siren in Peru. <laughs> yeah. All right. Look, I'm just gonna say all the Peruvians listening have no idea what SEN is and all these references. No, brought to you, Peruvian... brought to you by Tom Tom Brothers Funerals. Dear... <laughs> Dear Peruvian friends, let us know uh, what the reaction is because, you know, Gareco, we, we praised him. Uh, you know, he's a bit of a hero uh, for Peruvian football. All he's achieved, getting him to the last World Cup, how well he's done. And from the little tweets that I saw, there was a lot of, you know, we stand with him in, in good and bad times. But it would be interesting to see, you know, how is this being received over there? Um, but, yeah, that's because honestly, like, you know, like I said, they, they, they didn't play badly. Mm. They were, yeah, they were, they were lower than, let's say, you know, relative expectations and relative standards. But I don't think they necessarily played Nikos Dolet. <laughs> All right. So, just for podcast listeners, Lockie Flanagan has said, "Good to see Nikos Stoller, distant relative cousin of Carlos Soler, replying to Peruvian people in Spanish uh, on Twitter this morning." That was Mr. You know, Chip. You, you know, know what? I got to love. Skull is you're like, you're like, calma. <laughs> Look, basically what he said was that he, the, the phrase he used, which actually was a very funny phrase, is that God gives bread to people who don't have teeth, meaning that basically <laughs> we're going to the World Cup and we don't deserve it because we don't celebrate it enough. But you know what? Shout out to, there wasn't a lot of fans, but shout out to any fans who were at Fed Square this morning because it would have been absolutely freezing 5 a.m uh to go there you know it is it is good to see 
go to and bed. I, apo- I, I apologize to Ante for my lack of ticker, not getting up to go to no bed yeah. this morning. No, no, no ticker. ticker. Uh, young boy was keen, but I was like, mate, I am rooted after spending the day at Queen's birthday. So I needed a, I needed as much sleep as possible. I mean, also, I went to a live site once where Australia lost 4-0 in the opening game of uh, the World Cup and it was freezing and it was one of the worst experiences of my life. So those live sites can be good or bad. Um, look, we've talked about the game. We've talked about the squad. Uh, let's talk about our opponents uh, in, in the World Cup. Two packs of ours. <laughs> so, Ante, uh, I, I don't know what your thoughts are going to be. France, nah. Tunisia, Denmark. What a, what a week for fired Ben Kalfala. He just became the most sought-after pundit in all of Australian <laughs> media. How um, is anyone confident of us winning a game, going through the next round? Is anyone has anyone got that feeling within them? Not really. But you know what? Well, this was the same thing coming into twenty eighteen. Like these were teams that don't necessarily function in possession, but do we have enough to hit them in on you know on the counter? Like that's and you know what? Like I'm thankfully been able to watch France and Denmark over the past week and a half pretty extensively this week because you know, they're both in Croatia's Nations League group. Um, France are a very uh, conventional team without that release of, you know, allowing Kylian Mbappe to go blah, basically in transition. Um, yeah, they, even though even though Kante was unavailable, they played Chouameni, they played Kamara and Guendouzi in midfield. Like, they're all the same. Like, and so even this morning against Croatia, like, it's all just a U-shaped possession, just relying on getting the ball to Mbappe or Benzema. And, you know, I know it's all relative, but systemically, like, you know, there are going to be, you know, I guess relative allowances to this, to Australia defensively. But... It's going to be hard. It's going to be very hard. Um, to be honest, I probably only really give us maybe a chance against Tunisia. But looking at Tunisia's recent form, they haven't been in like an easy beat per se. They, but they weren't. Good, they weren't very good at the Afcon. Though. No, but like I don't know, man. Like I, I, I think we should like we should be aiming to beat Tunisia. We shouldn't be like worried. Like no disrespect to Tunisia, but like. That's a game that Australia should win if they've got aspirations of getting through. They they basically have to win. They that need game. to win. It, yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say that to be honest, I would actually be more confident of Australia jagging a point against France than I would be against Denmark, and it's because of Didier Deschamps, as you mentioned, being just a really bad coach. And I I don't know. I just get this feel. It's like I, you know, when you just have a hunch. Like this is not based on anything. This is you don't speak about just, just vibes. vibes. No logic, just vibes. You know, it's just vibes. Like there's this feeling that like Australia will jag something and it'll be a selection disaster from Deschamps. We'll see him come out for that first game. He'll play Rabiot left, left wing back again and drop Taro Hernandez. He'll start, you know, some. He'll start Giroud and Griezmann and uh, up top. He'll drop. To him, be honest, that, that, that was the case in the first game. Like mm. specifically because he didn't play Giroud. You know, in that first game, had Griezmann playing with his back to goal, and that was the one thing Griezmann really isn't great at as a central striker. Um, like that was the game that France struggled in. You know, they yeah, they really struggled to break Australia down. They got lucky, but you know, 
I remember us saying it on FNR, like, you know, at, before the tournament started, like, France were going to get stronger as the tournament progressed because they weren't going to have the ball. They were can, going can to I, And, you know, that group in 2018 is the lowest scoring group in 2018. Say it. Can I, if I can talk about pure intangibles rather than the on-field stuff. We do, are we 100% sure that France and Denmark aren't going to be having potential civil unrest uh, protesting against their teams going to this World Cup in Qatar. Australia's made peace with it because we've played our qualifiers there already, and I'm sure that there will be a degree of discourse about how ethical is it to go and play play at a World Cup in Qatar. But are we 100% sure that, you know, a pretty progressive country like Denmark and a country with, you know, known for uh, social upheaval and protest when things are inadequate in France won't have immense amounts of pressure on their own players uh, in a negative sense about representing their nation at this World Cup. And my other question would be, relatively speaking, is the gap between France and Australia greater than the gap was between France and South Africa in 2010 when France Im- when France imploded? And, Let's, you know, De- oh. Deschamps, is at the- Deschamps has been coached for a long time. Defending potential- champions as defending- well. Yeah. Curse-, curse of the defending Mahudu. champions. But also with the potential for, you know, our fans are protesting us even being here. Uh, the, the coach has expired ideas and, and we're winning this game off the back of the individual talents of a couple of players who we try to feed the ball to. Is it a perfect storm for it to have nothing to do with us, but we are in the right place at the right time? Let's not forget the um, pretty extensive bilateral agreements between the Qatari and French governments. Um, and the PSG connection and the yeah, B in sports funding. Government, uh, con- their French way. governmental contracts going to Qatar, you know, before the, mm. before the vote you know, went, went down as well. Um, when it comes to the World Cup curse, like 2014 and 2018, they were very strong groups that Spain mm. and Germany were in. Um, that's not the case this year. Yeah, best I think, this mention, era, I think this is the year it breaks. Best not to mention 2010, guys, because that <laughs> was like the weakest of the groups. No, um, like, no, no, Uruguay was sick. What are you talking about? No, no, no talking about no, no, oh, like, par- oh Paraguay. They said Uruguay. No, no, Paraguay. No, Paraguay. Yeah, Paraguay was, Paraguay was mate, sick. But, had but Pete Ma- Monikovic in the group as well. Yeah, and they had bloody Mark, Mark Paston became Buffon for, for, for 90 <laughs> minutes. Like, I don't know how that hasn't been investigated yet. Um, but it was like the, uh, it was like Space Jam. They're like the freaking monsters in that game. Um, <laughs> no, but honestly, like, I think it, it's going to be interesting because, like, Denmark were really, like, they were, the Euros are a weird one because they did ride a bit of a wave as well to the, to the semifinals and got a bit of a good draw. They rode that wave after the unfortunate situation with Ericsson. Um, but they were just very good off the break too. Like that's one thing we've got to be careful about. And we're not going to be the team that's going to have most of the ball against Denmark. Let's be real. I think Denmark are going to try and get on, the, probably by default, are going to end up with more of the ball. And if they're going with Hoiberg and Delaney as two destroyers, that actually might work out okay for us. Um, the one player that I am worried about between the two teams, and I think there is no chance of us beating France, and this is just very much on brand, but if Mike Mignon plays, we are screwed. We are not scoring past Mike Mignon. And if Teo Hernandez is starting at left back, forget about it. Just hang it in, guys. Hang it I in. I mean, <laughs> if, like, that's, that's actually one interesting thing, um, specifically about France. Like, whether Dino or Teo Hernandez plays at left back, because these are teams that do ultimately play in U-shaped possession. They're very lateral. Um, so if you do have 
the force of nature like there, or even in Denmark's case, so Joachim Mahler, um, it creates a different dynamic. Um, that's where I, I'm very intrigued to see. That's probably the one difference in dynamic with respect to Denmark and Australia, because they do have a Mahler, uh, whereas, you know, they, they're still very similar, you know, relying on uh, Cornelius up front, still have a very pragmatic midfield, and Delaney and... Uh, Delaney and Hoiberg, even though Lesser Schoener was a bit different in that respect. Um, how they incorporate Dumsgaard and um, Ericsson as well, that's, you know, it, it, they're still ultimately going to play in a similar way than what they did to 2018. And that's also the case with, you know, that's also the case with France because really Adrian Rabio is basically a Blaise Monsieur Blaise with the replacement. Um, uh, who plays ahead of um, who? Who goes in like who's in midfield out of let's say a Pogba, Kante, Kamavinga, and a Tromeni? You know, Kamavinga is really the only one who's different in that regard. Like, not different, but I'll say transformative in that regard because it, in terms of how they receive the ball, where they receive the ball, they're still very singular in terms of dimension and so it creates certain reliances on the likes of Griezmann and Mbappe and you know and now Benzema um, it's going to be similar um, but you'll have minor differences in detail can I just say the one thing that we have to contest with this time they've got a Benzema <laughs> they've got a Benzema uh, you know he, he worries me man he you worries me no, nah, that midfield's that mid that midfield still dictates how how France plays. Like that, you know, even watch them this morning against Croatia. Croatia were able to sit in a block and not even allow them to press whenever they had the ball. So whenever Croatia had the ball, because you know they're so unique in possession, like they can just slow France down and nullify their pressing, like they did. It's true, but um, I'd, I'd say we're also unique in possession, but for a different reason. <laughs> <laughs> so, nah, that's very simple. Like so, yeah. anyway. But um, I, I ultimately I think for both teams, like the midfields dictate how they both play. So basically, as uh, as uh, Bonovac tweeted, you played like Luigi Dalneri Udinese, and you were able to jag a win. Bro, nah, there were moments late in that game when we when we had uh, when instead of you you change a front three of. Uh, Budimir Pashalic, who's playing on a wing, not good, and Josip Brekolo, who's not bad. You change that with uh, Vlasic, Meyer, Kramaric, just movement around the ball, just poor. Like some of the, like there was a there was a moment where I think it was, it was like a minute and a half of possession against France, and Deschamps is begging his team to press, and they can't. They just simply can't because, you know, Croatia in you know. As the game went on, they were very practical in possession and they were able to move France about and you know nullify any attempt to press. Anyway, let's not go on let's not go on hey, about Croatia hey, eventual I, frustrations with this team. Salim says Nick Stoll look very similar than Shane Filer, <laughs> Irish boy Man, what what is with these insults? What is going on? Uh Baturen says uh, a very affectionate greeting from Peru. A very affectionate greeting. Uh, the Peruvian fans who were many 
who were many were of no use. We were oh. too confident. Never spit at the sky because it will fall on you. That's a great expression. That, yeah, don't, yeah, pee yeah. In, great. don't pee in the wind, guys. Don't pee yeah, in the wind. Exactly. But then he, he also, he basically just tries to guess uh, our ethnicity. Stole Irish <laughs> or English Australian. Incorrect. <laughs> Incorrect. I believe it is Greek Russian. Is what you're what you're going for there, uh, Dabano, South Italian Australian. Is that correct? Is your family from the south? No, uh, oh. Abruzzese, so middle of Italy, Greek Maltese. Oh. There you go. Okay, Ante Jukic, uh, he's gone for Croatian. Ante, is that correct? <laughs> Ante, no. is- no, but, well, my old man technically is from uh, outside of the Cro- uh, Croatian border. It's in like it's an ethnically Croatian region of Herzegovina, but yeah. Uh, Croatian. Okay, all right. I'll get half point, half point for <laughs> Atrena. And Pelizzeri, North Italian Australian is the question. Is truth? Is truth, Teo? My, my <laughs> ma'am, as Joey would say, <laughs> <laughs> is Australian uh, Scottish heritage. So uh, the, the Italian side is North and South. Okay, there we go. Uh, we have gone over two hours. Yeah, we're, we're just we're just saying our nationality. Stoll's nationality is in yesterday, exactly. That's right. That's right. Is Stolich's micro? But is my is my signal not working your, very well? Your internet has taken my internet at bits today. There were some bits yeah. where you were in like one k, man. Like you were, you were in the you had you're in my house. I don't know what you were doing in my house, man. But get out. I, I, I do apologize. Uh, I do apologize to all the listeners. Uh, you know, I, I'm currently at home with COVID. Uh, my girlfriend is working right next to me as I do this pod. Uh, I, think, I think we should try and wrap it up. We're in the third uh, hour of Raw right now. Right? In, in the third hour. Uh, Jesse Jenkinson says, "Light Breck Kirk, we are a pack of unique individuals." <laughs> Um, Vasilis says, Low, it's freaking 3 a.m. in Peru. Uh, so shout out to people who have stayed up in Peru, uh, to watch this. Uh, I hope it was worth it. Um, guys, final thoughts are you excited, uh, for the November World Cup, or World Cup, first World Cup that we'll ever have in summer in Australia? Um, I believe we're playing, was it Tunisia, uh, on Saturday night at 9 p.m.? So that is that is off. the only thing I'm looking forward to at this point that has got me like really pumped is like 9 p.m. against Tunisia on a Saturday in, night in summer mate. as well. In Don't summer, the city weather. is going to be pumping, mate. And honestly, it's if if we win, it's going to be a good night. I can say that for sure. I still don't know where I'm going to be, so <laughs> I'll figure <laughs> that one out. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm just more relieved that we've made. World Cup for Australian football. Teo, final thoughts? I, I didn't feel a great deal of anxiety about this game. I'll be honest, not really nervous or worried about anything, even when uh, Peru hit the post, probably until Abumabil stepped up. That's the first time I, I genuinely thought, oh, no, we, we might lose. But, hey, his penalty, like many of the other penalties, was good, and the head games from the Peruvian goalkeeper didn't work, thankfully, because that, that, that was where probably the first time in the morning I started to stress. But like, like I've said, I think that you know we are in the moment of enjoying it, but TNC, and I know that I'm not on every week and, and may not be on in future weeks for a little while, but I really do appreciate the role you guys play, especially when I hear things that have been raised on TNC uh, coming back from people who may not necessarily have listened to the primary source, but could have got it from somewhere else. I think it plays an important role and, you know, people are going to be taking their victory laps and pats on the back, but let's not get carried away with those because 
uh, as we've said, it doesn't forgive everything that we during this World Cup cycle. Um, guys, we're going to leave it there. Uh, shout out to uh, Joey who had to uh, run to commentate an Australia Cup match. Does anyone know which match that was? Bentley versus Banyol. Tune in tonight to watch the heavyweight clash between, look, all of you guys in Peru, uh, you probably really want to catch this game. Uh, it's going to be amazing. Uh, two <laughs> traditional rivals. You know, this is kind of like the Boca River of uh, Victorian football. Um, so, so check that out. Does, does anyone have anything to uh, plug? Uh, if, if you've sat through all this, you've got to sit through the John Aloisi, Mark Swartzer podcast with Teo um, that he recorded earlier on Optusport. Yes, the uh, Gegen Pod, G E G E N P O D, the Gegen Pod. Uh, and then go back a year and listen to the episodes that I was on. <laughs> I have, I will say, I've kept some of my powder dry. So, um, something yeah. coming? Yeah, I'll, I'll have something out in the morning. Um, head oh, on sorry, over Wednesday. Head on over to either afl.com.au or the AFL app to catch what my point was for six things we learned this weekend for the North Melbourne GWS game. And stay tuned for my match report from Carlton Richmond on Thursday night. <laughs> Unfortunately, the uh, the football sphere with riding is going a bit dry until the friendlies. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we really appreciate uh, everyone who commented. Uh, really appreciate um, everyone who watches and listens. Uh, TNT will come back on Sunday night at 7 p.m. Uh, local time, uh, and we'll talk all about Australian football uh, from then on. But thank you so much, and congratulations to the Socceroos. Okay.